1975, Holland Oates, Alone Too Long, and this song was not my choice. You might have thought it was my choice because I do play songs from the 70s and 80s primarily on this show before it starts, uh, usually from the 80s, but sometimes from the 70s too, sometimes even before that. But this was chosen and in fact demanded by my co-host tonight, Daredevil, who maybe just tricked me. Maybe he really had no desire to co-host tonight and just wanted me to play that song because I said I would one of the other times he co-hosts and then forgot. So now he's missing. Missing in action. So maybe there'll be no co-host tonight. Anyway, uh, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friend show. I am Todd Jan Druff with Tellus and... We do this every week around Tuesday at 6.30 Pacific Time, go until about 10, 10.30 Pacific Time, and talk about everything going on in the world of poker and gambling with a few strange twists. You never know what you're going to find on this show. And tonight, we have something that is not on the agenda that I will surprise you guys with sometime in the middle of the show. I will not give you a hint, except it's a phone call. We're going to call someone that is not expecting our call. Someone that you all know. Not sure if the number is even good, but I'll give it a try. So, uh, again, welcome to the show. And uh, if I seem distracted, I'm like looking at Skype over and over to see if Oh, here he is. He's like, he was. I guess he was hiding before or offline, but he's here. Let's just put him on here. I, I was distracted by the fact that I'm trying to look for my co-host. So the show's already off to a bad start. Daredevil, Yo. hello. 
Todd, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay, good. So I have a question for you. Uh, I was looking for you on Skype yes, before the show, and you were missing. And then you, you messaged me back just now saying I'm here. But did you just start Skype, like, right as the show started? Yeah, well, you know, I assume the show's starting at 7 when you say uh, 6.30, so. I guess you got me on that one. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah, we started on time. For those of you listening to the archives, we actually started on time tonight. And part of that is because – there's a number of things to talk about, a number of things to do, and I think some of them might be semi-lengthy segments, so I, I wanted to have time for everything. So I made an effort today to actually show up on time, and I think I sur- I surprised everybody, including my co-host, and I think nobody was ready for the show at 6.30. Yeah, there was like four people in the chat, so. Yeah, I saw that. I was <laughs> like, wow, my ratings are really going in the toilet, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. 6.30 is kind of early for everybody. They think the show hasn't started yet. So, okay, here's the agenda for tonight, and then I'll get into the ways to call the show and about the free roll and the other stuff we usually do at the beginning. Some of you thought I might not make it this week because I had a root canal last week, a few days after the last show. As you can hear, I'm alive and well after the root canal. I'm not going to make this root canal radio, but I'll briefly tell you how that went and why I'm able to be back so fast. Last year, a year ago, I made a big deal over a double snub by the Bluff Reader's Choice Awards. This is for Bluff Magazine. Every year they have awards where the readers vote on various categories, including things like favorite poker player, uh, biggest breakout poker player of this year. Well, one of the categories is favorite poker radio show or podcast and every year this show has not appeared there for whatever reason so last year I took a look and what bothered me was that some of the shows that appeared up there there were like five choices some of them that appeared there I had never heard of before like obviously the 2 plus 2 poker cast deserves to be up there but there were some other ones I'm not going to name them that I was surprised to see there because I had not heard of them nor had anyone else that I talked to ever heard of them but it got worse because they released a list of snubs in each category. That is, choices that should have been up there, but they just didn't put up for whatever reason. So I was sure we would be there. But no, we weren't even in the snub list. We were actually snubbed by the snub list. <laughs> I thought, how is that possible? How could... How could they snub this show, and then when they list the shows that they should have put up but didn't, or just barely missed the cut, how do we miss that too? And the worst thing was, two very regular listeners to this show worked at Bluff at the time. Kev Math and Seriously Serious. I'm like, I have the inside connection there. I have a show with like a thousand listeners. How do I get snubbed and snubbed from the snub list? So, it was very insulting. Anyway, I think after the bitching I did about it, They got the message, and this year, even though I haven't said anything about this in a year, we are listed in the Bluff Reader's Choice Awards, so I'll briefly tell you how to get there and vote for this show if you want to and if you feel it deserves it. I think the biggest story this week was the end, the possible end, I shouldn't say the end, the possible end to legalized online poker. 
If you guys remember back in 2006, the UIGEA was passed and it surprised everyone. It was attached to the port security bill as a last minute item. It wasn't something anyone was expecting or even fearful of happening. But that obviously has a big effect to this day. So a 2014 version of the UIGEA was going to happen, it looked like. Uh, especially because it appeared that Harry Reid had switched camps, the turncoat that he is, and was siding with Sheldon Adelson and was going to attempt to have a full federal online poker ban placed into law, effective 2015. So all the legalized state poker rooms would go away. Anything that was planned to eventually start up, like the California rooms, would never take place and legalized online poker would be dead in the United States before it really got off the ground. I have an update on that story. This was something that we would decide, we would find out would happen either way, either would happen or it wouldn't happen by December 10th. Well, we have an update as to what has happened and that'll be our top story tonight. We will also have an interview tonight. We don't have many interviews on the show. And it's tough enough for me to get a co-host here. Usually it's just me ranting for four hours. <laughs> Sometimes I get a co-host. Even more rare is when I get an interview, someone willing to associate themselves with this show, someone willing to be on the hot seat here. And a lot of this is actually my choice because I don't want to put people on to talk about the bracelet they just won or the WBT event they just won or the, the big cash game winnings that they have. That's kind of stuff for other shows. This isn't really a, a poker strategy show or a kiss-ass to successful poker pros show. I mean, what do you really talk about with these guys? So, how does it feel to have won a bracelet? Uh, good? Like, like what am I going to ask? Tell me the hand that you won the bracelet with? I mean, it's boring stuff. So, I really only want to put people on here that are interesting and or have an interesting story to tell. Two weeks ago, we talked about Dusty Schmidt and his interesting claim that mass multi-tabling, this is the guy who was playing 12 tables at once for many, many hours a day, every day, he claimed it affected his mind, it affected his brain, and he started to have issues, that he actually suffered a form of uh, brain damage, maybe temporary, maybe permanent, as a result of multi-tabling poker. So we're going to talk to him about that, and also he's just... Generally an interesting guy. This is someone who worked himself up from the lowest limits online and became a very respected multi-tabling grinder. And he's written books, and there's a lot of people who are big followers and big fans of his. And uh, actually, his approach to poker, his approach to the game, a lot of it's very similar to mine, even though we play different games. So we'll have him on here and hear from Dusty Schmidt. Also known as Leatherass, by the way. I'll ask him why he chose that name. Another big story this week. The Merged Network, which, as you might remember, I think on November 23rd, about two weeks ago, had an issue where a tournament crashed and then people reconnected and found themselves on other people's accounts. Well, at the time, everyone thought it was just the network taking a crap, that basically the network had some kind of really bad bug that caused this. Well, now it's looking that it's looking like that was not the case. It's looking like this was 
sabotage, that this was intentional, and that this happened because a certain individual, or maybe individuals, are using this to cheat, to basically crash the network and win pots when the whole network's crashed. And it may even be bigger than all of that. It's a big scandal that's unfolding, and it's not entirely clear yet what's happening, but we're starting to get an idea. We will talk about the merged network DDoS attacks and who might be behind them and how much is Merge at fault. And if you don't play on Merge, do you have to worry about the site you're playing on having this occur? Well, if California poker is able to exist without the federal government stopping it, it should come to exist pretty soon. There probably will be a law passed in the year 2015 authorizing legalized online poker in the state of California. The big question is, will poker stars be part of that marketplace? That battle is waging on yet again. I'll tell you the latest on that. When you book a hotel, the old way of doing it used to be Expedia or Orbitz or one of those type of sites, which usually had a better rate than the hotel website itself. The hotels realized that this was a big mistake on their part, and not only did they seek to offer equivalent rates to what are offered on these third-party sites, but they had something called a best rate guarantee. Not all hotels have it, but a lot of them do, where if you can find a cheaper rate online after you book with them, that they will honor the cheaper rate and give you something additional on top of that. Caesars Entertainment does have a best rate guarantee, but if you find a cheaper price for the same hotel room and you do everything they ask and follow their terms to the letter, they will deny you. Naughty, naughty. We're going to talk about what happened there and what you should do if this occurs. You shouldn't take it lying down. Finally, an editorial tonight, very simple. Why do I run this show? Why do I run this site? I don't make any money. I lose money. So why would I do it? What am I gaining from it? I will tell you why I do run Poker Fraud Alert, why I do this show, and the reasons that I don't do it. When I say don't do it, I mean the reasons that are not reasons, the factors that are not factors. So that's our... Agenda for tonight, and we have a bonus item, a phone call, a cold call to someone who's not expecting it. Hopefully it's a good number. And if we get through, I think it'll be entertaining. But you know how it goes here. We often don't get through. But sometimes those are the best segments. Sometimes the most memorable segments on these shows are the ones like that, where you don't expect it to get through, you don't expect it to be anything, and then it becomes something really entertaining. Very true. And even I don't know who this call is to, yeah, so you're surprising no one knows. your co-host. No yep. one knows except for one person who gave me the phone number. Mm. So that's it. Only one person knows. I'm not going to say who it is. So uh, let me give you the ways to reach me during the show. As usual, the main phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also text that number, 775 372 8355. I will read your texts on the air. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain 
that it hangs over Las Vegas and gets snow during the winter. I have an old 70s rotary phone, which is so well built it can withstand the snow. And it forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. Make sure to unblock your caller ID when you call or you will not get through. You can also go in the chat room, interact with other live listeners if you're listening to this live. Keep in mind, I probably will not read the chat room that actively. I do take a look every so often, but if you want to get a hold of me, the best way to do it is either to call or send me a text message. We have a, uh, a free roll tonight. It's in the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen. It's No Limit Hold'em. It starts at 7.40 Pacific Time, about 50 minutes from now, and you have 25 minutes on top of that to late register. A $47 prize pool tonight. 40 of that came from an anonymous source, and $7 came from Split This, who, by the way, is a female listener. She's been part of this community for a long time. I actually asked Split This to meet me during the World Series, not not for any romantic purposes or sexual purposes. I, I was just curious not, not about Not to her. Split That? Not to split that, yeah, All exactly. Right. I was, I wasn't going to. I just wanted to see, you know, who is the woman behind uh, these posts I've seen all these years. But uh, she was afraid to meet me. She says she won't meet me or anybody from the forum. But I knew know for sure that it's really a female. And uh, thank you to split this for donating seven dollars. She also donated forty dollars to UGA as the team because of the stroke he had, and you know he can't work right now because of the uh, the stroke. So uh, she donated to him. It was very nice of her to do. And then the remaining $7 she gave to this week's free roll. The prize pool is as follows. $25 for first, 15 for second, 7 for third. And if you want to qualify for the free money, you need to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before. If you don't have an account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum, dated June 1st, 2013 or before, you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Convince me you've been listening for at least three weeks by telling me things that you have heard on the show that are not in the official show description. We do this, of course, to prevent free roll leeches, people who just show up to play the free roll and have no other interest in the site or the radio show. So I think we've gotten everything out of the way, the usual intros, and uh, welcome again, Daredevil, and... Uh, you know, usually when I have an interview, I I like to do it myself with the interviewee, and if we have a co-host, I boot them off, but I'm not going to do that here. Uh, you're welcome to take part in the interview as well and ask okay. anything you'd like to ask, and uh, if you want us to tile in, you can, but you, you're also welcome to jump in when you feel like jumping in. Sure. So. Yeah, this sounds like an interesting topic. When you posted it, you, did, you just said we're talking to him, but I wasn't sure about what, but yeah, the... Um... That idea that multi-tabling like wrecked his brain, that's that's going to be interesting. Not just that, but he's playing again. And I right. I don't I don't know why. I haven't discussed this with him yet. Uh, I, I actually want my reaction to what he tells me to be genuine. Uh, something I did just learn tonight from him is the fact that we met before. I thought this is a guy I've heard of but had never met. I actually met him back in 06, and the reason I didn't remember is because he was just – a nobody back then, and I'm not trying to be derogatory. He was just a, a one-two, no-limit, like, recreational player online. And, uh, you know, so he met me uh, along with someone else he knew who was a bigger name at the time. 
And so he remembered me, but I didn't remember him. Whereas if I met him today or any time in the last few years, I definitely would have remembered. So anyway, he's really moved up. He's really, you know, started from scratch. This is not some rich guy who, you know, learned how to play and sat down at a high limit game and had the bankroll to start with. You know, he, uh, he worked it all the way up and did very well. So let me get to the root canal thing really fast. As I mentioned on last week's show, I got the bad news on the same day of the show that what I thought was a broken filling turned out to be a situation where I needed a root canal on that tooth. And I was hurting during the last show. Did it anyway, but my tooth was hurting more and more. And on Friday, I got the root canal. The thing I hate most about root canals, a lot of people think root canals really hurt a lot, and they don't. They don't really hurt very much when you're getting them done because they numb you. Really, the only painful part is when they stick you with a needle in your palate and other places you don't want to really feel a needle, but, you know, that doesn't last very long. Uh, from that point forward, it's not really painful. And afterwards, you know, when you come down from the Novocaine, it hurts a little bit, but it, it clears pretty fast. It's really not much more painful than getting a cavity filled. Uh, the thing I hate about root canals and the reason I was dreading this, well, there's two things. First of all, uh, since I'm Jewish, the fact that this cost me over $1,000 uh, plus an additional like 1300 for the crown, that, that was the worst part. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that was what I was instantly thinking, like, crap, this is just money down the drain. Uh, but second, I, what I hate about the procedure itself is that they use the thing called a dental dam. Mm-hmm. Have you had one before? Yeah, I have. And actually, I had a bad experience last time where uh, I guess because they were using it, it was opening my jaw too wide and actually locked up. Oh, wow. And the, the dentist at the end, he was this kind of smaller Asian guy. He had to like – he pretty much stuck both his hands in my mouth and grabbed onto my jaw and like yanked it back into position. I'm glad I didn't hear this before I got the root canal done. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. I, I, maybe you don't know what I mean by a dental dam, though. The dental dam is uh, – it's you're probably thinking of a bite block. Is that what you're talking no, about? No, no. It's like a plastic thing. That oh, it is? Okay, okay. Your, yeah, yeah. I know okay. what it is. Okay. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's this rubber thing. It's actually latex that they put over your mouth. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like someone is – putting rubber over your mouth so you can't breathe. In fact, that is what they're doing. Not so you can't breathe, but it's supposed to be a hygienic thing. They didn't used to do this many years ago. But uh, now pretty much all the endodontists who do root canals do that. So it's really crappy. They say, oh, just breathe through your nose. Well, uh, you don't realize how much you actually do breathe through your mouth, even if you breathe through your nose a lot. To actually have your mouth covered where you can't breathe at all is very, very unpleasant, especially when you're like laid back in the dentist chair and uh, so I had a root canal almost five years ago, and when they put this thing on me, I, I said, absolutely not. Like, I can't do this. So I told them they have to cut part of it, and they did. They cut, like, half of it off, and I got through it. So this time I knew beforehand, and I before I even went in there, I said, you have to agree to cut this thing. So that was I, – I, they had to make two concessions for me before I even set foot in the place. Concession number one was that they had to cut the dental dam, so, like – at least part of my mouth could breathe. And concession number two is they could not lie me all the way back. They had to only lie me back as much was necessary, but not all the way. So they did it. It was still an unpleasant thing. And I thought, okay, you know, it takes about an hour for the whole process. 
And I thought, I got to get my mind off this, where I am, what I'm doing, the fact that this stupid dental dam is on me. And they offered an iPod for me to listen to. I would have brought my own music, but I had just switched iPhones and I didn't have any music on there. So they gave me an iPod and I, I went through it and I, for some reason, the artist that was most appealing for me to listen to during the root canal was Toby Keith. That's that's who I chose to listen to. Is Toby Keith? For some reason, oh, that just seemed boy. appealing to me. Was listening to Toby Keith. Now, it worked though. It was like, a, and then uh, so, so I because did that. Because it was more painful than the root canal. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> I'm, I actually like country music. I know. And and so yeah, I I chose Toby Keith, and uh, I listened to a bunch of his songs in a row. Um, I, I actually tried to I closed my eyes and like envision like my own videos to the song just to get my mind off of the fact that I'm getting a root canal and. When I first came in the office, on the wall they had this flat screen TV with what looks like a very peaceful scene of the ocean and fish. It's almost like you're snorkeling and seeing all this fish and all a lot of you know nice, peaceful-looking ocean scenes. And I thought, this is nice. This will be relaxing to watch during the root canal. Well, it wasn't. When you're lying back in the dentist and they're working on your mouth and there's a thing covering your mouth, the last thing you want to do is look at something that makes it feel like you're underwater. <laughs> I mean, that's, that was the last thing I wanted to see, is like feeling like I'm underwater while this is being done. So I, I didn't want to look at that. I keep my, kept my eyes closed. So anyway, I got the root canal done. It wasn't bad, actually. Uh, I was actually surprised. Like, I'm thinking, okay, there's... Like, the time actually kind of flew. I got to thank Toby Keith for this, because, like, the time kind of flew, and then, like... The, the dentist just reaches off and rips off the dental dam. And I'm like, wait, are we done? She's like, yeah, yeah, we're done. I was like, oh, wow. I, I didn't know we were done. Like, it was a pleasant surprise. We're just done. It's over. And so, yeah, I recovered from it very fast. And there was very little pain afterwards, only for a few hours when the Novocaine came down. And here I am. The good thing was that I got a prescription for 15 Vicodin, and I was getting low on Vicodin. So I, I'm not a oh, Vicodin. Good. Yeah, well, we haven't seen Josie in a while. So. Yeah, that's the problem. If she she left, come back. She left the site because she's married. Oh, or well. either married. She hears or... this show, she'll come back. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's either married or with a, a boyfriend. That She has a baby, and so she's with the guy she has a baby with, a very, very little baby. And that's why she's been gone, and I don't think she's coming back. So, like, you know, if Josie was still here, I'd say, okay, Josie, just mail me some Vicodin. But uh, I, I was getting low on it. And I use it for, like, the occasional headache that I can't get rid of with Excedrin. It's useful to have. I don't ever abuse pills for fun, and I definitely don't do pills every day. I probably take a Vicodin, you know, on average once a month. But I was running out, so it's nice to have uh, 15 Vicodin again. So I'm back, and that's over. Let me tell you what's not over, though. The Bluff Reader's Choice Awards are going to be going on through... I think January or something. There's no easy link to them. If you want to go to yeah. the Bluff Reader's Choice Awards, I would just suggest Googling. Just go to Google and type in Bluff Reader's Choice Awards 2014, and you'll find them. And you click on this, like, vote button there. Yeah, even on the page itself, it's a little It is confusing. It is. In, find, in fact, I'm, but... I'm going to go to the page itself. It confused me, too. I'm glad you said that. Because yeah. It confused me, too. I felt stupid. Yeah, I think we needed Seriously Serious still to be with Bluff. He could have designed the page. It would have been a lot better. 
because I, I saw these five names and I was like, is this the first thing I'm voting on? Or But then the vote thing's above that. Yeah, he, I, You have to see it. But. Here, here's the part that's confusing. And if Bluff, if you're listening, you know, I know Kev Math listens. So anyone in Bluff, you should fix this because if you Google it, then you'll you'll find it. But then you go there and it says Bluff Reader's Choice Awards and then it, it has like a paragraph about it. And then under that, you see this. It says in red, vote now. But it's not like a button. It just says like in red, vote now. And then under it says Daniel Negreanu, Vanessa Selbst, Jason Somerville, Daniel Coleman, Bluff Reader's Choice Awards. So you're looking right. at this and it makes it look like you're voting for one of these people. Yes. And it looks like vote now is a title, not a button you're clicking on. It's not like a button. It's just like a, a red vote now, like a title. And then you're like, yeah. well, wait a minute. What am I voting for? Like Daniel Negreanu for what? You know, like, yeah. like at first I'm reading this. I'm going, okay, let's see. Vote now. Uh, Daniel Negreanu, Vanessa Selves, Jason Somerville. I'm like, what? Am I voting on the gayest poker player? <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's where I was going. But then I get the Bluff Reader's Choice Awards. I'm like, well, they wouldn't call their own awards gay. So I, like, I, I didn't know what this was. But you're actually supposed to click the Vote Now button. And uh, then it takes you to some external site. And uh, I think there's like 10 categories to go through. Now, you'll find some things where you have no opinion or you don't even like the choices, and you don't have to vote on every category. You can just skip through and only vote on the things you want to vote for. So you don't have to give a junk vote to someone you really don't want to give, or yeah, you don't have to just vote for the sake of voting. But when you get to the podcast, radio show, whatever it's called, category, uh, you'll see... It's actually a weird heading. Did you see what the heading was? It's like, Best Poker-Based Web Show. So is that it? I don't yeah. know if you're against – maybe you're against some oh, YouTube yeah, here, channel here we or are. something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. And here's the other thing. You don't have to register or anything, which is good. Uh, hopefully nobody uses this to rig the awards. I wouldn't be surprised if someone did. But, did. but uh, yeah, there's actually uh, 12 questions, and it's like kind of a little pop-up thing. And let's see. Uh, yeah, favorite web-based poker show, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Jason Somerville's Run It Up. The Poker News Podcast with Rich Ryan and Donnie Peters. The Thinking Poker Show with Andrew Brokos and Nate Mavis. I played with Nate Mavis, by the way, at uh, the 2010 main event. He was big stacked and I was short stacked. And I, I was proud of myself that I actually uh, made it deeper than he did. We, we both cashed, but I, I made it deeper. I was proud of myself. He had like a, a huge stack when I was at his table and I was uh, very short. But he was a nice guy, though. Uh, poker Fraud Alert. Parentheses, Todd would tell us. Mm-hmm. I got, I, you know, I'm mad about my snub, but I, I was going to say here, it should have said Todd would tell us and Daredevil, and then the, the two plus two poker cast with Adam Schwartz and Terrence Chen. So, those are the uh, five choices. I don't think we're going to win, and I don't want to encourage anybody to vote for Poker Fraud Alert if you don't think Poker Fraud Alert is deserving of a vote. Uh, if it's not really your favorite web-based poker show then don't vote for it. Vote whatever is your favorite one. Or if you think the show sucks and none of them deserve it, then don't vote. I'm only asking for votes if you really think this show should win that award. So as I said, just go Google Bluff Reader's Choice Awards 2014. You will find it. Uh, Click on that weird vote now thing, and maybe a miracle will happen and we'll win. uh, And don't try to rig it for me. Don't try to, like, you know, vote a thousand times. Uh, I, I might appre- appreciate the enthusiasm, but that's the last thing I want is that Poker Fraud Alert commits a fraud to win the award. So, yeah, don't make a mockery of the award. The, the website's kind of a mockery enough. So uh, yeah. let, let's just uh, have it uh, be a fair contest and 
the fact that we're even nominated is a big step up from last year. Maybe we'll go from snubbed to double snubbed to nominated to maybe next year we'll win. We'll see. I can dream big here. Well, somebody was dreaming big, and that was Sheldon Adelson, the perpetual opponent of legalized online poker. Sheldon Adelson was really, really pushing a bill in Congress to pass at the last minute, because basically uh, the 2014 session is about to be done. But he was really pushing for a bill that was introduced back in May to come back to life and be passed uh, as part of the final budget that was just passed. That, you know, that should be passed, actually, by uh, December 10th. If that budget is not passed by the end of December 10th, the government goes into shutdown mode. So they always try to avoid that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of sky is falling type rhetoric of do such and such or online poker is going to be banned or, oh my God, this bill's being proposed. It's going to ban online poker. And I, I laugh most of those off because a lot of these are not realistic as far as going anywhere. So I don't panic at every occurrence of an attempt to stop the legalization of online poker. I only try to pay attention to the ones that are legitimate threats. Well, this one is a legitimate threat. Uh, I have to give you some background here and you'll understand. Uh, As you know, Sheldon Adelson is a big opponent of online poker. He's the owner of the Venetian. And he has spent a lot of money. He's very passionate about not having legalized online poker in the U.S. He's mostly spun his wheels up through up till now, and it's come to exist in certain states, as you know, despite Sheldon's best efforts. But he actually had something going here that might have worked. Uh, he there's an act that was on the table called the Restore America's Wire Act (R A W A) which essentially modifies the 1961 Wire Act to compl- to ha- include a complete ban on Internet gambling. Because the 1961 Wire Act obviously had nothing about the Internet there. There was no Internet in 61. So this would be updating that and banning all forms of Internet gambling. And that would spell the end of all legalized online poker, including that which already exists and which might have existed in the future. Uh, it was actually gaining some steam, but uh, recently it met some opposition thanks to Ron Paul, who is a Republican. And Ron Paul uh, really made a big deal about this, saying that he was against this primarily because it's an assault on states' rights. Ron Paul feels that uh, the state should have the right to determine if they have online poker within their borders and that this is not for the federal government to decide. And Ron Paul was saying, look, if you're a true conservative, you should oppose this because true conservatives oppose the federal government telling the states what they can and can't do. Right. Or telling people what they can and can't do. Yeah. So he's very much a libertarian. Basically. Yeah. He's, 
yeah, he's a libertarian, but he's actually appealing to the conservatives, even who aren't libertarian, mm-hmm. saying, look, you guys are very big on states' rights here. Something's about to happen, which is very much against states' rights. So even if you don't love online gambling, this is even worse. You, you do not want to let the federal government start doing things like this. So some conservatives are like, wow, you're right. Yeah, no way. We're not supporting this. This is awful. So even Republicans who had previously been against online gambling were like, no, 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 no. We don't want a federal ban that's uh, against state rights. So uh, there was suddenly some pretty strong conservative opposition to this bill, which uh, sucked for Sheldon Adelson, who was trying to draw a lot of his support from Republicans, though he also got some of the Democratic Party to support him including that uh, Blanche Lincoln, whose uh, clip I played uh, a week or two ago, that she's actually a former Democratic senator. But anyway, where this applies to today is that since the budget has to be passed, since uh, we're coming to the end of the year, since this Congress is going to be gone and a new Congress will take over in 2015, uh, this is what's known as a lame duck Congress, Um, Basically, Congress has to pass a large spending bill before December 11th. Otherwise, there's a government shutdown. And this is the last time this Congress will be doing anything before the new one takes uh, takes office in January. So what happens when there's not this spending bill passed at the end of the year? Party leaders, Democrats and Republicans, meet behind closed doors and basically offer concessions to one another regarding minor issues that, uh, you know, one might care a lot about, but the other one doesn't care about so much. So like, uh, you know, the Democrat will say, hey, issue X is really important to me, and I know issue Y is really important to you, but we don't really care much about each other's issues. We have our own pet issues that we really like, and you might oppose my pet issue a little bit, but it's probably not that important to you. So how about we both agree to support each other's issues and, and that's what they do. They basically make deals. Uh, this is very important to you. This is very important to me. You know, uh, support what I want. I'll support what you want. And, and we'll get it through. So that's basically what happens behind closed doors. And a lot of minor pet or local issues get passed this way and kind of just appear. And this is the, the, the way to fast track a lot of things into law that otherwise would not have happened, otherwise wouldn't be important enough on their own to normally get a vote. So they, they tack it onto this uh, this giant spending bill that has to pass before December 11th. So there was a fear that this RAWA that would ban online poker would be one of these items. But Sheldon Adelson is not a politician. He needs a politician, one with influence, to be able to get this on there. He can't just go to any congressman. He has to get someone, or any senator, he has to get someone who has a lot of influence. So, Sheldon Adelson had a great idea. Why don't I go to Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid? And you might say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Harry Reid, first of all, he's a Democrat. Second, uh, he's always been in the pocket of the casinos, and uh, you know he's from Nevada. He's been in the pocket of the casinos. Most of the casinos, everyone pretty much except for Adelson and, and maybe Steve Wynn, are for legalizing online gambling. 
So no, not, why, not just the casinos, but didn't he take a lot of money from Full Tilt? Yes, and he took a million dollars from Full Tilt, <laughs> which I guess he doesn't have to worry about it anymore because that Full no, Tilt is but, gone. But, but yeah, he took a million dollar bribe from Full Tilt, allegedly, uh, to, to also propose a legalized online poker bill. This is a guy who actually got behind a legalized online poker bill. Well, Adelson realized that Reed, who's known for his corruption, he's been known to be corrupt for many, many years. Uh, Something that's not even well known about Reed is that he grew up as the son of a whorehouse owner in a small town in Nevada called Searchlight, which is between Laughlin and Las Vegas. And uh, basically, he grew up as a pretty shady guy who, who rose to be the Senate Majority Leader. And, you know, there's been a lot of bribery allegations against him. Nothing that's ever stuck. But there's a very believable bribery allegation, which you just mentioned, a a million-dollar bribe uh, where telemarketing scammer and online poker payment processor Jeremy Johnson was instructed by Full Tilt to go to a weird bank account and deposit... One million dollars. And he did. And he was told... Jeremy Johnson, that this is going to Harry Reid, who, if he got this million dollars, would get behind a legalized online poker bill at the time. This is before Black Friday. And sure enough, he did. He did suddenly uh, switch his position and suddenly was behind this online, this legalized online poker bill right around the time that Jeremy Johnson alleges he received the million dollars. It's just a weird thing for Jeremy Johnson to have made up. I really believe it. But uh, Eric Holder, who's a fellow Democrat, would not uh, investigate this. So the state of Utah really wanted this investigated. They were very frustrated about it. But uh, the federal government would not help. So a cover-up. So anyway, that, that's an older story. But uh, the bottom line is Reed is corrupt. And Sheldon Adelson knew Reed is corrupt. And so Sheldon Adelson realizes that there's one person that Harry Reed cares about in this world, and that is Harry Reid. Harry Reid almost lost the election in 2010. In 2010, he almost was not going to be the Senate Majority Leader. He wasn't going to be anything because he was about to lose. He was very unpopular in Nevada. Everyone hated him. His corruption was known. Uh, they retired him, and Nevada was Nevada itself was struggling, and people just wanted a change. So pretty much all the Republicans had to do to knock Reid out was put up a very average candidate. They didn't need a wonderful candidate for Senate. They just need an average candidate that's, uh, you know, not someone you're going to be afraid to vote for, not someone who's awful. Well, the Republicans could not do that right. The Republicans could not put up an average candidate. They put up a candidate named Sharon Angle, a Tea Party candidate, who said and did a lot of crazy things. And by the time the whole campaign was over, even people who hated Harry Reid were afraid to vote for Sharon Angle, so they very reluctantly voted for Harry Reid, even though they hated him. It was really the lesser of two evils in a lot of Nevadans' eyes, and Harry Reid dodged a bullet. That was in 2010. But it's not going to be so easy in 2016 when Reid's seat is once again up for election. Reid will probably be facing Brian Sandoval who is the very popular governor of Nevada, and he won the last election by over 20 points. Everyone likes him. So this is not going against some crazy Tea Party candidate. He's going to go against a candidate who is very well-liked in the state of Nevada and combine that with the 
dislike a lot of people in Nevada have for Reed, uh, Reed realizes this could be the end of the road for him, and 2016 might be the end of his political career. Mm-hmm. So Adelson knows this too. So Adelson, uh, it's said, no one knows this for sure, but it's thought that Adelson went to Reed and said, look, I have a ton of money and I usually back Republican candidates, but, but if you get behind this R.A.W.A. bill, you get behind this, either I won't help Sandoval, I won't get involved at all, or maybe I'll even give you money for your campaign. Maybe I'll back your campaign. I'm not sure which one it was, but but the assumption was he either pledged financial support to Reed's campaign or at the very least said he's going to stay out of it and not give money to the opposition. So Reed all of a sudden says, hey, wait a minute. This is my only chance to avoid being smacked down in 2016. This is my only chance for my political career to continue. So screw it. Screw the casinos. Screw what I did before. Screw the million bucks I got from Full Tilt in the past. I am now anti-legalizing online poker. Even though there's online poker in my own state, I'm turning around and I'm going to be anti-online poker, but I'm not going to do it abruptly. I'm not going to just come out and say, hey, I I hate online poker now. Uh, I'm going to try to sneak this RAWA through. And if it gets through, then great. If it doesn't get through, then no one's going to know the difference. So that's basically what was going to happen. And everyone was very nervous that Reed was going to sneak this through and that Reed was going to take this to John Boehner of uh, you know, the, the Speaker of the House and say, look, you pass this. I'll get behind something you want, Boehner, and let's, let's put this through. So there was a lot of concern that Reed would actually be the one sneaking this bill into law. And this is the concern that everyone's had in online poker this week. And uh, it was said that this was a very realistic possibility. This wasn't like some long shot. Um, this, this was said by, uh, this is from Chad Holloway. He reported, scary. Rep Porter just gave chances of Adelson's reinstatement of the Wire Act being fixed to lame duck budget bill by next week at 50-50. Now, you might wonder, uh, why is Rep. Porter getting involved in this? Uh, it's actually not that Rep. Porter. This is a U.S. Representative, Congressman uh, John Porter, who just happens to be known as Rep. Porter. Uh, Rep. Porter actually also said that uh, he feels bad for bad beating me on the river when I had 95% of the chips in play and was almost going to make the final table at the Limit Hold'em shootout in 06. Rep. Rep. Porter said he felt bad about that too. That was his other statement, but it, it didn't make Chad Holloway's report. But, but Rep. Porter said... Surprising. Yeah, Rep. Porter said here, though, that it was 50-50 whether this was going to go through. And if it passed, it would be just like the UIGEA. That would be it. No more debate, no more discussion. It would be law starting January. So that would shut down, barring some kind of lawsuit that would uh, overturn this law, uh, it would shut down all the online gambling that exists right now legally in the U.S. And it would really be a huge, huge setback for the poker legalization fight. And there were a lot of good-hearted people that were saying, hey, you know, tell Reed, stand up for poker. Don't do this. Don't sell out. Don't, you know, a lot of people were trying to get out the word to read to uh, 
not do this. But Harry Reid doesn't give a crap what you say. He, he had already decided what he was going to do either way. Uh, now, getting out the word to the opposition, to Boehner and others who uh, might have influence over Boehner, that, that actually could help because, uh, you know, that's, as I said, Reid can't do it by himself. Well, apparently, it looks like we probably dodged a bullet. It looks like we've dodged a bullet here. John Boehner was not having this. He didn't want it. It said on the PPA Facebook page, reports are coming in suggesting that House Majority Leader John Boehner has rebuffed Sheldon Adelson's push to move RAWA in the lame duck. And then today, the spending bill was reported to be a done deal. And it was later reported that this was not in the spending bill, that, uh, in fact, that Boehner called up Sheldon Adelson personally and said, hey, guess what? We're not doing this. <laughs> I mean, that's a, it wasn't like a hostile call. It was probably just to smooth things over to not have Mike be really pissed. But, like, he called up and said, hey, I don't want you to be shocked. I don't want you to get the nasty surprise through the news. So we're not doing this. And, uh, you know, I don't know what he said. He probably said there's too many – Conservatives who are opposed to this, they think it's an assault on states' rights, or whatever. He, he, he... But, or there's too many. There's, I mean, there's money already coming into states from, you know, there has to be some Republican, I don't know, there are Republican senators in New Jersey or Nevada that they have to say, look, this is already making money. I can't cut this off. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, so it didn't happen, thankfully. And now uh, for it to get started again next year will be a lot tougher. This, this was the big chance to sneak it through, just like the same way they sneaked in the UIGEA. This is the way they're going to get through. It's like a bill on its own is not going to ever go anywhere. If they if they have to vote on a bill on its own, on a freestanding bill banning online poker, it's just not going to happen. It's not an important enough issue for them to take any kind of uh, serious vote on it. It's, it's just not yeah. going to happen. So The other thing is it's already legal in a few states and there haven't been any, you know, incidents or anything. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, it's going to be tough to put this, you know, genie back in the bottle. I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tougher for sure. Now that it already exists to ban it. And of course that really pisses the States off too, because they've already got the whole thing going and to, you know, grab it from them and say, you know, you can't do this anymore. And that, that really gets the, uh, it really gets, conservatives mad when uh, you know, the federal government steps in and says, uh-uh, uh-uh, states, you're doing this. Uh-uh, naughty. You can't do this anymore. The states hate that. They, yeah. they, they hate the federal government telling them, I don't care if you made this legal, we're making it illegal. And, and it pisses them off. It pisses off the conservatives who are very pro-state rights. So for those of you yeah. that are sure that the Democrats are your friends for online poker and the Republicans are the enemies, uh, think again. It can, As I've said before, this is not a partisan issue. There's people on both sides of the aisle who want to see it legalized and the people who don't want to see it legalized. And, and here, yeah, i, I got to tell you, the Republicans are the ones who save the day by, by saying, like Ron Paul and the rest of them saying, hey, this is an assault on states' rights. We don't want it. So Yeah, there's also more libertarians in the Republican Party and they are not I mean, they also they like the states' right thing, but they also are very big on personal rights. Yeah. So they don't like you know the government telling you where you can and can't spend your money, and this is yeah. something they would go to bat for. Yeah, and this got the combination of those and the people who uh, aren't so much against the uh, 
you know, government making laws of as far as what people can do, but uh, who are very big on the states' rights thing. So you really have a, a coalition now of people who are all against this uh, banning online poker thing. So that's that's good. That's good that it's going this way, and it's good that uh, because the truth is, once enough states have this going, then the matters of them cooperating across state lines is going to become uh, easier and easier. And eventually we're going to have a, a federal or a pseudo-federal uh, version of online poker here, even if some states never join in. But uh, I, it's definitely going in the right direction. I, I was worried about this. And it's true that the current sites that exist are all fail sites, but California is the big one. California, they, they should be there should be some real traffic on those sites and I think when they start cooperating, then we'll get even more. It's just, it's in its infancy, and it's an important step, and it's important that something like this does not pass, and it did not. So that's great. Mm-hmm. So we're going to call up, uh, actually, we're not going to call up. I, I, I promised Dusty Schmidt that I was going to text him prior to uh, him coming on. I promised I would do it, and then I forgot. So I was about to just like mm-hmm. blindside the guy after promising him that I would uh, text him. So for that reason, let me uh, get his phone number here. I'll text him. By the way, Todd, I don't see in the rundown a uh, Wendy's update. Well, there isn't anything. Uh, Ken didn't go oh. back there. Yeah, he. We had one last week, but he didn't go back, so... Okay, so I'm going to text him here. 15-minute warning. I, I guess he's got something going on at his house tonight, so he's actually got to duck out of there and, and take our call, which I appreciate. Oh. Let me read some texts we got. Speaking of texts, uh, let's see. A wise man's trying to listen to the show and can't. At least last time his text says... Uh, He's trying. I'm not going to go into the details, but he's trying to listen and can't. I, I don't know what the problem is here. He tried to post the URL into the VLC media player and iTunes. I, mean, it's, I don't know why he can't just go to the radio page. It should just autoplay there. It's something about his setup's not working. Unfortunately, I can't debug that right now. Uh, someone texted me from the 913 area code. I might have drunk texted. Is there a show tonight? <laughs> and uh, there is, and good news, 913, you did not drunk text me, though I kind of wish you did. Uh, just Dusty responding to me, thanks, it's live, right? And I said, yes, might as well make him more nervous. That's the truth, it is live. Uh, 754 texted me, Judonk for co-host. Did he hear that show? I'm sure he did. Uh, 619 area code texting, my hair looks like a Lego boss. What is a Lego boss? Don't know. Someone texted, oh my God, you're killing me with the podcast, Alvin, referring to Alvin Finkelstein. And I asked this person back, is that an endorsement of Alvin Finkelstein or a criticism? Well, I guess that's a drunk uh, texter. It is. It's weird it showed up in two different places. Yeah, that was a drunk texter. That's what they drunk texted me. So I guess they uh, they didn't answer that, though, whether they liked or disliked Alvin Finkelstein's call to the New Jersey uh, Golden Nugget online casino, who was uh, right. trying to Did steal. they ever call you back? No, of course not. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's it. 775-372-8355 if you want to text me. Uh, while we're waiting for the obligatory 15 minutes to pass before calling uh, Dusty Schmidt, 
Uh, we'll start the other topic and then probably hit the pause button on it. Bobby Orr is saying in chat to me, Ron Paul is not a Republican. He, he, he technically is. I know he breaks from the Republican Party a lot, and he's not a traditional Republican, but that is uh, his party, at least at the moment. Yeah, he ran for president as a Republican. So, Let's see here. Uh, wait, what's, the, what's the damn topic right now? Okay, this is, let me uh, get into the merge thing. We'll, we'll start off with that, then we'll, we'll pause, and then we will continue the merge thing. You know what? Actually, we won't. Let's let's do a short topic that we can do in the time we have. I I, I don't want to start and stop. I I kind of feel like we're going to lose momentum. It's kind of like being with your girlfriend. You're like, hey, uh, let's start making out. Let's start messing around. In 15 minutes, let's just stop and do something totally different and then come back to it later. Like (laughs) like nobody ever does that. So let's let's, let's not do that here. Okay, this is a propaganda video from PokerStars. Oh, goody. Uh, Another one. We played them before on this show. (laughs) This is... Are there any lasers in this one? No, I don't. I haven't watched it yet. We're gonna. Oh. I'll hear it for the first time. I, I can only okay. stand to watch these once. <laughs> Inside Poker Stars Four, how does Poker Stars protect the game? Here we go. Oh boy. Hello once again. Welcome to the Isle of Man and the head office of Poker Stars. In this series of videos, we're addressing some of the questions commonly asked by PokerStars players and people who are thinking of signing up to the site. Now, many people ask, how does PokerStars prevent cheating? It's a fair question, and one I'm going to put to Steve Winter and Brian Taylor from the Game Integrity team. Steve, to start with you, how big a problem is cheating on PokerStars? That's a tough question. <laughs> now, that's a tough question for this guy to answer, because if they say it's no problem at all, then it looks like PokerStars is not taking cheating seriously. Like, they deny the problem right. exists. If they say it's a huge problem, everyone's going to be afraid to play on there. So I'm thinking, how is he going to answer this one? Like, it, it, this is kind of like being in a job interview, and they ask you, what are your biggest faults? Oh, yeah. Like, this is a very tough question for PokerStars to answer. I, I'm, I don't even know why they asked this, because, like, they're the ones controlling the, their own questions here. So this is kind of a... A loaded question they asked to themselves. So here's the answer to the loaded question. Well, the short answer is it's not as big a problem as people might imagine. But well, that's a good one. It's not as big of a problem as people might imagine. Hmm. Well, well these are obviously we... all you know pre-prepared, so I don't. Yeah, even yeah, know yeah. If these guys are answering them really. Or well, not. no, probably not. But uh, I'm sure this is all scripted beforehand. But at least uh, it gives the appearance of a good answer to a loaded question. We do take uh, the issue of cheating very seriously, and there are 80 people actually employed to look at the games for cheating. And how do you ensure that people don't cheat? How do you ensure they don't break the terms of service that they agreed to when they signed up to PokerStars? Our systems are set up to catch uh, any cheating that occurs very quickly, and when things do go wrong, when we do find cheating, we... um, what we do is we actually make players uh, whole again and we re- repatriate the funds. Um, we, we repatriate the funds. Um, if your funds have uh, left the country and um, they're not coming back, they are brought back into the country as legal citizens again. That's, uh, they're repatriated. And um, I also want to say the way we catch the cheating is uh, we have a program that runs in the background, a process that runs in the background that examines everything going on on your computer, not just PokerStars. So we see everything you're running. We see every website you're visiting. We see every key you're typing. So if, for example, if you're playing PokerStars and um, 
you're browsing gay pornography in the background. Uh, we see that as well, and we don't care about that. You're welcome to browse the gay pornography unless you ever try to blackmail us, and we have something to blackmail you back with. So it's, it's useful data collection as well. But, but we see everything, and um, we only care about uh, the, the cheating elements of it. Uh, you know, if we happen to catch some um, bestiality porn on your computer, we might note it for ourselves for later, but we don't do anything with it. From the players who cheated uh, back to the uh, victims. How many incidents are actually reported to you by players, and how much are you actually spotting yourselves before the players are aware of it? Okay, well, the players do come to us with allegations of uh, cheating, and we follow up on all of those, of course. Four times as many uh, cases we look at are ones that we generate ourselves by our own systems. Brian? You know, i got to call that out right here. Um, Poker Stars is notorious for being too lenient when they catch cheaters, where they will... They're fairly good at kicking people off the site who are cheating, but as far as confiscating their money and then uh, giving that money to the victims, there's been far too many instances where people are where that doesn't happen. For example, the stock trader scandal that occurred a while ago is very clear that stock trader was both multi-accounting and colluding slash soft playing with his buddy a buddy that I actually met in person. I, I, I met him and the guy who were accused uh, in person uh, at a state kids tournament. I, I actually knew them kind of. We weren't friends, but I, I knew them. Uh, it was definitely happening, and yet stock traders' funds were not redistributed to everybody else. Stock trader was just told to leave, and the other guy was actually allowed to keep playing. They so, weren't repatriated? Yeah, no, they, <laughs> the funds were not repatriated. Yeah, that's, mm. uh, they weren't repatriated. So that's and this, there's been a number of instances like this where people have brought out on two plus two and elsewhere pretty clear cut cheating to where nobody would have complained except the cheater had those funds been seized and repatriated to the victims. But they seem very cautious about that. At least that's the way they were. I don't know. Maybe the Amaya days it's different, but uh, that's the way it's been. And I, I do believe that they're looking for cheating and that uh, there have been a lot of instances where they have caught cheating or it's been brought to them and they say, yeah, we agree. And there have been a number of instances where they have caught the cheater and repatriated the funds. A good example was that guy, The Void, who won that million-dollar tournament. And uh, it turned out he was on he was multi-accounting. He played as himself and his sister. And uh, they caught it and they repatriated the funds. So... There's ones like that, but there's also ones like the stock trader one, where, which were pretty egregious, where there is plenty of evidence, where nobody would, question, would have questioned them for a second for what they did. Uh, yeah, let's take a phone call here. Ooh. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, okay. they don't turn off their radio, and then they hang up on me. That's not nice. Ouch. All right, we'll go on then. What are the most common allegations that people make? What do think people think is happening at their tables? The most common player report is collusion, where they suspect that two or more uh, players sitting at their at their table are sharing whole cards or otherwise communicating in order to... I, I like the sound effect. Whoosh. What's the biggest problem? Whoosh. Collusion. Whoosh. We're not watching a horror film. Why have that here? Let's, let's watch this again at their tables. 
The most common player report is collusion, where they suspect that two or more uh, players sitting at their <laughs> at their table are sharing whole cards or otherwise communicating in order to cheat against them. And how do you prevent that from happening? How do you stop people from working together? We have systems in place that are running 24-7 in order to uh, find people that are playing from the same physical location or using the same hardware or have uh, other abnormal play patterns with each other. Um, once those are flagged, we have a team of investigators, which are all experienced poker players, that will review the hands and all the other data that we have about the players in order to come to a conclusion on the case. Another concern that's commonly voiced is that people feel they're playing against computer programs, so-called bots. Mm -hmm. How do you spot those? Well, um, I was mentioning before about monitoring people's processes on the... Uh and the porn sites, uh, we, we look at everything. We Big Brother's watching you when you play on Poker Stars, and that's what keeps you safe. That's where you can go to sleep at night and know that Poker Stars knows everything about you. Everything, every key you've ever typed on your computer when the Poker Stars client is open, we know about it. If you're if you're talking to a woman you met online while your wife is sleeping, we know about it. If you if you watch gay porn, if you're if you're a pedophile and you're uh, meeting 13-year-olds online, we know about it. We know about it, and we know about bots, too. So you can feel good when you play on Poker Stars that we know everything. We've invested a substantial amount of resources into developing systems that are running 24-7 that will detect non-human interaction patterns. Uh, again, alerts are generated for our dedicated team to review all the data and make an assessment on whether or not the player is actually playing or using a computer to play for them. Thank you. you know, I've, I was obviously joking before what I said, but I, it was only half joking because I've always suspected that PokerStars does look at the processes running on your computer. It does look for programs that they think you should not be running. And yes, they probably have their internal algorithms to see if like you click buttons too quickly. And to tell if you're a bot, like if you, you're reacting in a way to where you're always taking the exact same amount of time to react or you act too quickly to where a, a human couldn't act that fast. Or, uh, you know, if you don't make as many mistakes with a mouse as a human would, like there's ways to be able to tell if someone's a bot or a human that way. But I also wonder if they're looking at people's processes, especially if bots are made to be smarter to really mimic the mouse movements and the timing and the randomness of humans. Yeah, they would have to because nobody's dumb enough these days to make a bot that takes the same amount of time for everything. Yeah. Tell us anything about the technology you use. Can you go into detail about the systems that are in place? Yeah, we have this laser. <laughs> I could talk about that all day, but unfortunately we don't want to educate the people that are trying to cheat on the site, so we have to keep those a secret. Okay, but I'm going to assume it's pretty cutting-edge stuff. I'm going to say it's probably at the, at the top end of what can be done technologically. Absolutely, and we're constantly adding new systems. Steve, with systems like that in place and also with the work that your team is doing, you must feel that you are creating a very fair, very safe environment. As an employee, I'm... Actually, no, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's a crappy system. I think that uh, your money's not safe on PokerStars. I think that uh, we're doing a piss-poor job here, but that's the job we're doing. We're still getting a paycheck. Like, what's he supposed to say there? Yeah, you must think it's pretty safe here. Uh, he works there. He, this is his job. Even if he's doing like the worst job ever, of course he's going to say, "Yeah, it's safe." Like, it's a, yeah, it's his. It's his job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I'm, I'm doing a horrible job. But, uh, I'm a fucking moron. Let, so let me be honest with you. I, I've just been zoning out the whole time. I'm just letting people cheat left and right, and I'm going to say it right here. I don't care. Uh, and you're going to broadcast it too on your video. I'm not allowed no to play on the site, but. If, if I was allowed to play anywhere, I would definitely choose to play at PokerStars because I, I know all, all of the effort that goes into making the game safe. 
Well, Steve, Brian, thank you both very much for your time. And hopefully, once again, we have answered your questions. Thank you for watching. So what would you like me to find out about on your behalf? Are you interested in how PokerStars promotions are put together? How PokerStars hosts are trained to oversee online deal negotiations? Or how EPT dealers are picked to attend the tour? Semi are you interested to find out why we keep raising rake and trying to drive away the professional players? Are you interested to find out if we give a shit if you play on our site anymore if you're a winner? Email us, insider at pokerstars.com. Okay, so... I'm interested in how they pick uh, hotels, but they're not going to cover that. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, let's, uh, let's give a call to Dusty Schmidt. We're going to find out if he really is brain damaged from online poker. And, and if so, why is he going back for more? Why does Dusty Schmidt uh, want to continue frying his brain with online poker if it damaged him that much? We're going to get to these tough questions and also just find out in general about the guy and his rise from a one, two casual player to someone who made a lot of money in online poker. And I think still does. And, uh, here's the phone number. I actually thought that he lived in California cause he has a California phone number, but it turned out that no, he lives in Portland now. One of the, uh, uh oh, oopsie. I almost hung up on you. That was not good. Let's try this again. Oh, is this Dusty Schmidt? This is uh, him, yes. <laughs> yeah, hello, Dusty. You're on Poker Fraudler Radio, the Druffin Friend Show. This is Todd Dandruff with Tellus, and I've been talking to you about appearing on this show. And I also have on the phone with me my co-host, who's in the uh, revolving co-host chair. We have a different one you know, uh, week to week, but uh, one of our frequent co-hosts uh, known as Daredevil. See, he's on, too. He might chime in uh, every so often. I don't think you know him. But uh, anyway, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on here. And uh, I'd like to thank you for taking some time out of your uh, busy evening here, which actually I know is a busy evening to be on here. Hey, well, thanks. I'm always happy to come on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, what intrigued me about you, and I've, I've heard about you before. I, I know who you are. I didn't know until tonight when you told me that we met eight years ago. But um, I had always thought you know you were someone who's – known in online poker, but that I, I just didn't know personally. Uh, but uh, I, what intrigued me recently about you was when I read the story of your multi-tabling, your mass multi-tabling that you said caused some kind of either brain damage or brain issue. So uh, that's the main thing I want to talk about tonight and have you tell us what happened and uh, you know, so everybody can understand uh, how many tables were you playing at once? How many hours a day were you playing? And how long was this going on? Like how many years? Yeah, well, I became a poker professional in 2005 and kind of started to, um, you know, want to want to check things out uh, in terms of my brain and stuff toward the end of 2012. Um, but I was playing probably... You know, 200 hours a month, 
um, on average, and probably between 12 and 18 tables. Wow. So 18 tables. Well, I thought it was just 12. So so between 12 and 18 tables, 200 a month, which is about you know, 40 to 50 hours a week, which is less than some other people play. It's still like a full-time job. It's less than some other people play, but to play that many tables at once, uh, you must never get a break. You must be just constantly making decision after decision after decision. Exactly. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, 40 to 50 hours as a poker pro playing 18 tables, I think, is at least as taxing as 100 hours a week for most people, just because at the end of the day, you don't get a second. I mean, I don't even have one single second when I'm playing poker where I'm thinking about anything than what I'm doing and clicking and making a decision. I mean, obviously, folding 4-9 offsuit under the gun is not much of a decision, but the point is you're just going at it you know, the whole time. And so there's, there's not like a water cooler break or, you know, anything like that. So it's just constant decision-making. And I kind of felt like going from that to, you know, normal life <laughs> where it's not like that. I found a lot of difficulty sort of slowing things down after, you know, really long sessions. Uh, it just, it just became really difficult to just kind of hold a basic conversation because, I'm used to kind of going a mile a minute. Yeah, so you said it's like playing 100 hours normally. I think it's much worse than that, actually. I I couldn't imagine doing that. Now, I know you're mainly a, a, a no-limit cash player, and uh, I'm... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Are the police coming to get you? Is this the brain police or something? Are we okay? I, I don't know. Are you okay? I'm hearing uh, sirens. Yeah, I, I'm sorry about that. I'm, I am outside. Okay, now, I, I just don't. Want, I don't want you to get arrested for being on this. Show. I was afraid maybe they're coming to get you for something. Okay, I, I, it would have made it would have made good radio. I had to stop, and uh, so I tried to get in the most quiet area I could. No, no. To be honest, I was kind of I was kind of hoping they were coming after you. It would have made a great show here. But uh, look, uh, I'll tell you, this is very stressful. Um, I, I'm a limit hold'em player mainly, uh, limit cash player, and Limits, you you, know, you can't play, there's no way possibly to play 18 tables at once because you're going a lot further with each hand and uh, you're seeing a lot more flops and you're, you know, you're not folding as much, so there's no way to play 18 at once. But I even found that p- playing five tables of Limit Hold'em was too much for me. I, I felt like what you were describing, that there's not even a second to do anything else, that you just, uh, uh, it's just bang, 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 decision, 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 like you can't do anything else. I found it to be too stressful. And I said, okay, the most I'm going to play is four at once. Uh, then I found after some time even four was a little bit much for my taste. So now I really do not ever play more than three games at once. No matter how good the games are, I will not play four tables anymore. I play three, which again, uh, three of limit is, is more than three of no limit as far as the uh, amount of decisions you're making. But, uh, but still, uh, I can't imagine playing as many tables as you were for, for that many hours a day uh, it, it's incredibly stressful, and it really builds up on you as uh, you know the hours pass by. Doing it for like ten minutes is one thing; doing it for eight hours is another. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's just nuts. And um, you know, I I, I went to the uh, the well, I went to a, a clinic, and it, it just so happens that my best friend's uncle is a guy named Dr. Daniel Amen, and he's probably the most prominent psychiatrist in the world. 
and he runs these clinics called the Eamon Clinic. And so um, when I was, uh, just before I started playing poker, I went in there out of curiosity and had my brain scanned. And it wasn't completely normal, although he defines, he says only 13% of people fall under what he calls a normal brain in his brain scan. So that wasn't too concerning to not be quote-unquote normal. But um, what I noticed in the brain scans in 2012 and 13 that I did was that the activity in my brain was, I mean, it was off the charts. I mean, if you saw a brain scan in my brain, you're just like, whoa, dude, <laughs> what's going on? Well, so hold on. Was, um, it, was it significantly different? It's up in every category. Was it, was it a lot different from uh, the 05 scan? Because you had two scans to compare, one before online poker and one after. Exactly. And, and you know, it's entirely possible I can't necessarily, like, definitively pin everything on poker because, you know, that was in my early 20s, and a lot of times, you know, you get certain onsets for um, things in your brain that, that happen later. But they seemed pretty confident that it was, it was fairly uh, – that it was mostly related to poker. Um, and basically every area in my brain was just lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, there are – when you look, if you look at a brain scan the way they do them anyway, they, you know, mo- most of your brain will be sort of black in the brain scan or like really like dark blue. And if it's red or especially if it's white, that's the highest category that they use, um, then there's, you know, sort of abnormal activity. And so I had, you know, sort of dark red or white in every area of my brain. And so that's, you know, when I started to realize that, like, they said basically what it kind of became was like like an addict's brain. That's the way, like, an addict's brain uh. lights up. And so even though I didn't feel like I had any kind of addiction to poker, and I don't think anybody diagnoses you as an addiction at anything that you're good at, <laughs> uh, you kind of get a pass with everything. Like, if you're an addict, uh, a gambling addict, but if you make $10 million a year, nobody calls you a gambling addict. But... um you know, I uh, I just kind of reached that point where I had, you know, a brain scan that was just lighting up everywhere, and, and it just wasn't really good. It was kind of good for poker because it made me super alert and it made me, you know, really kind of dialed into everything the way you'd want to be. But then when you go from 10 hours a day to kind of locked into the real world, you know, it just it makes things difficult. And I was having trouble with things like just sitting there and building blocks with my daughter, you know, who's she's five now, but maybe when she was three or two then. Um, it was just really difficult to kind of sit still. Um, I'd get a little foggy at times after long sessions and things wouldn't process as well. And so, you know, for a while there, I in, in order to slow it down, I just smoked pot after every poker session i just huh. you know i played 10 hours play a bunch of hands and i just smoke pot to kind of just finally give my brain a rest but now i've you know done a lot better with trying to figure out healthier ways to uh just kind of give my brain a rest after these these poker sessions and also just not playing long poker sessions just three hours here and three hours there and so, so that's what i was going to ask next what what uh, perplexed me when i was reading the article about you was that you were pretty much giving a warning to all poker pros who mass multi-table the same way you do 
uh, or did, uh, don't do it or watch out or, you know, it's not worth it if you're going to do this to yourself. And then it said that uh, you're now a pro on America's card room and you're playing 12 tables again. And I said, wait a minute, why would he be doing that? If he discovered this was so harmful, why would he walk right back into harm's way? Exactly, and that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, I mean, first of all, at the end of the day, it still is my primary source of income, and I don't really want to do anything else. I haven't really looked into too much of doing anything else. So that alone gives me some motivation to do it, but I wouldn't do it if it was a disaster to my health. They they basically said at the Amon Clinic that I just needed to sort of do it in a more healthy way. You know, if I, for example, play from nine to two, nine to noon, you know, and then go exercise, um, you know, from <laughs> noon to two, and then you know, and then maybe start another session of play from two to five, then maybe break for dinner, and you know, and then maybe play like seven to nine or something and call it a day or you know I mean that would be more of a full day for me these days because I'm also not playing 50 hours anymore it's more like 30. So you're playing 30 see I I would still be afraid of this if I really had that much happen to me if, if my brain had changed that much and I felt there was a real effect I'd be afraid to go back uh, even 60% of what I was before. I mean, maybe you're feeling okay. I'm just saying for myself, I would be uh, – if I were to notice something like that occurring, uh, it, it would scare me. And, and that's when – when I saw your story, I, I related to it somewhat. Not that I'm feeling effects on my brain from, uh, from playing online poker, but I have played a lot of online poker. I've been playing since the beginning of one and – uh, there were times I would sit there, you know, 16 hours, 20 hours straight playing three or four tables. And and I thought, hey, I, I can kind of relate to that, just sitting here staring at the screen, making constant decisions one after the other for many hours a day. Um, I, this is very interesting to me that this could be happening or, or even that the human brain can be damaged or changed this way from playing poker and obviously there's no studies on this sort of thing since the whole online poker phenomenon is, is still relatively new. So. Right. And, and I, you know, my, my buddy, uh, Casey Martin, who maybe some people know is the, the guy that won the right to use a golf cart on the PGA tour. And he's, he's a good, good, uh, friend of mine. And we got to talking about it one day and he made what I thought was a really good point. I ended up quoting it in an article just saying like he's like dude you guys are like the guinea pigs for this thing i mean you know this is not like something that's been around for a million years you know and where you kind of know what's going on i mean like if you look at football i mean people didn't think there'd be as many long-term uh issues that they would have you know with concussions and all that type of stuff that's now come to light and he said i kind of look at this a little bit as like you know you're playing football in 1950 and you know, kind of waiting to find out the effect. And I, I thought that was a really good point. Um, for me personally, I I mean, I, I totally relate with you. I mean, for a while, you know, obviously some people might know that I, I did quite well and had several million dollar years and stuff. And so there wasn't a great urgency to work there for a while. And, um, you know, I kind of took a break from it a little bit, but I really wanted to keep playing, and, and I, that's still what I wanted to do. And so I worked with the, the Amen Clinic to, you know, kind of come up with a good plan to be able to do it in a way that would, that would be, 
you know, not very harmful or maybe not harmful at all to my health. And they kind of came up with this, you know, diet, exercise, you know, take breaks, uh, you know, don't play as long as sessions kind of plan. And, and I followed it pretty well. There's been times when I'm supposed to break after three hours and then I've got the five biggest fish in the world that I'm playing against and I extend it to four or five hours, maybe six once in a while. But, you know, nine times out of ten, I've been really good about following their advice. So you told me back when you in uh, 2006 when we met, you were only playing one two no limit and basically playing just to win rake back. Uh, how did you go from that to someone who plays 12 to 18 tables of, of much higher limits than that and, and making a lot of money doing that? Did you just kind of slowly move up or did you very quickly take off and start doing really well and then be able to move up very fast? What was the uh, progression of your poker career? Yeah, well, I, I did well, and my goal was to um, save up enough money in 2006 to take lessons from uh, Nick Grugin, a.k.a. Stocks Trader. <laughs> um, and I wound up, uh, you know, I was going to do limit at the time, but he was switching to no limit. And uh, and it's funny, I, I wrote him, and, I, and he said, well, he said, you can come out here. And but my lessons are two thousand an hour. And I was like, Well <laughs> that sounds like a lot of money, but at the same time I think the information is so valuable. And especially back in that day when, you know, you could you could get a little bit of knowledge and go a long way. Unlike today where, you know, you might get gain a lot of knowledge and go from, you know, a hundred grand a year to one twenty or something. Back then you could gain a little bit of knowledge and go from hundred grand a year to a million. So I was willing to make that investment. And so I flew to New York to meet him. And uh, luckily, he was a big golf nut. And I'm a pro golfer. And so he said, hey, let's just play Let's just uh, play golf all day. And then at night, we'll play three or four hours of poker. And you can just watch me. And we'll keep it kind of informal. And I won't charge you anything. So I stayed there for four or five days and watched and play, you know, three or four hours a night and help him with his golf game all day. And he didn't charge me anything. And uh, I went back. I think my best month at the time was sixteen, seventeen thousand. 17,000. And I went back. First month, I made fifty, hmm. And then um, soon after that, I was, you know, making 100, 125 a month. And that continued for uh, quite a long time. And it was just, just basically watching him for a while. And uh, and and just kind of mimicking as best I could, or trying to understand what was in his head. He didn't really explain anything, but I could kind of figure out where he was going with his logic and things. And it just kind of took off from there. I don't think that's a story you can really have these days with the current poker uh, environment. But back in the day, that was uh, was not you know. There was a lot of people that was were able to do that. Uh- when this whole scandal went down with Stock Trader, with the accusations of uh, multi-accounting and collusion, and, and by the way, I I knew the guy who he was accused of uh, colluding with. I, I met both of them in St. Kitts. We used to all play on Interpoker together uh, back in the, you know, when they were all playing Limit. Uh, did you have any idea of what was happening before the whole scandal took place? No, I mean, I, I had I had a little bit of knowledge on one thing, but it was unrelated to uh, to that specific issue. Um, you know, one thing I'll say about Nick is that, 
you know, we haven't spoken in several years, and, you know, I was pretty upset with a lot of things that uh, he did, and I think he upset most of the community. Um, I think, you know, he made a bad decision. I think Nick's really a, a pretty good guy overall, and I think he made kind of a, a bad decision. And we were great friends at the time and, and you know, haven't spoken a long time since. But um, the one thing that I think was upsetting to me the most, and I'll go ahead and say this publicly for the first time, I never said this, but, um, um, you know, back in the day I was accused of being a short stacker. Uh, you know, I was playing 2550 apparently as a rat holder, and um, that wasn't me on the account. We were, he, you know, him being kind of my mentor, he kind of pressured me into, um, uh, he wanted a short stack, and but he didn't want to do it on his account because he owns Stocks Poker, and he's selling No Limit Hold'em advice. But really, he wasn't all that good in No Limit Hold'em. I was the, the better player in No Limit, Limit Hold'em, but he played, um, he did a short stacking style. And so he was able to say, you know, I made a million dollars a year playing No Limit Hold'em, and we're going to sell all these subscriptions and all that type of stuff. But he was making that short stacking, and he was doing it mostly on my account. So at the time, I mean, yeah, I've, I guess I've technically multi-accounted, but at the time, I had no clue what the hell all that was. It was like 2006 or seven, and all I knew was like my mentor was like, oh, I really want to play on your account so I don't have to, you know, look like the short stacker. And I was like, all right, well, you know, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned this, and, and, you know, thank you for, you know, putting this breaking news out on this show. But, uh, or not really breaking news, but for putting something out there that hadn't been said before. But I, I had heard something about this way back then when this occurred that um, him using other accounts uh, and, and then he was – it was had something to do with him knowing you and you and him having some kind of falling out. And I, and I had imagined it was something like uh, – it was something exactly like that, that he wanted to hide on a different account so he would have credibility to sell books and sell uh, coaching videos uh, as this great player. Uh, when in reality he was a short stacker and people would have not had respect for that style. So uh, I, now I didn't know that uh, your short stacking actually wasn't you, but I had I kind of had thought this that uh, it had something to, you know him jumping on account jumping between accounts had something to do with you and him having a falling out around then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that had something to do with. It. I mean there are a few issues at play. One was him just blatantly cheating, like like you know what was discovered. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just felt like he put me in a position where, you know, I mean, he was mentoring me, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he just, I didn't know any better. I mean, these days, if somebody asked me to multi-account on my account, I would just laugh at them, right? I would have laughed at them, you know, five years ago as well. But I was so new to online poker, I didn't really know all about that stuff and didn't really understand the sort of harm in that. And so, you know, he, he kind of pressured me into doing that, but... You know, the thing is, is, you know, he created all kinds of accounts to do that, and he colluded with a guy named Rob Papp. Yeah, who, that's who I'm talking about. I met Rob Papp. Yeah, a little, yeah. And Rob, you know, again, another really great guy that I liked a lot, but I just can't understand why they did this. But yeah, they were just logging in at the same time and, you know, never raising each other and squeezing people out of pots. And you know, the, the thing that just really upset me the most and what I told Nick was, you know, 
Nick, I mean, I've, I've been in a hotel room before where I watched him make trades on his account. He had like two or three million in his E-Trade account. And I'm just like, and you're multi-accounting cheating these sites. You already have so much money. This is just absurd. And I just finally just, dude, I, I don't want to be around you. I don't want to do this stuff with you. And, and, and it just shocked me that Rob was participating. In that. I didn't even know he was doing that until everything kind of, came out yeah you know i i have to tell you um for my interactions with nick and with rob uh personally uh nick struck me as kind of it didn't surprise me so much from his personality type that he might be greedy enough to do this with rob i'll tell you it did kind of surprise me you know rob and i would sometimes talk on aim uh i met him in st kitts and you know he seemed like a nice guy he and his wife uh you know went with me and my then girlfriend out to eat in some you know, steakhouse outside of the resort. Like, uh, you know, I spent a little time with the guy and he seemed very nice and soft spoken. He didn't, he seemed a little different from Nick. And I was surprised to hear that, uh, he was the partner with, uh, with Nick in this whole thing. And in fact, I was the, I think I was the only one who had a picture of him that I had posted at the time when his name came out. People were like, who is that? I'm like, well, I happened to have a picture of the guy that, that I took when we were in St. Kitts together. So I, I posted it. But I, I was kind of surprised about that, and uh, it is interesting that you bring up that uh, in addition to all the money he made on poker that he's making these uh, uh, large trades, and he has so much money, and, and you know, why do this? But I, I guess it just comes down to greed. Uh, very interesting yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, tell him this is the nuts.com. He's got, you know, several hundred thousand dollars in affiliate income coming in every month, and I'm just like, what are you doing? And you're trying to cheat ten twenty. And find a two percent edge, you know, on a short stack. It's just like, what's going on here? You know, I mean, <laughs> sorry, it's just it's kind of become funny to me at this point. Although it's really not that. Funny. I used to actually annoy Nick back in the day when he had this is the nuts dot com, which is his affiliate site. Uh, I I made fun of him because the the mascot he made for the site. I, I told him he was going to get sued by Mister Peanut. <laughs> I, it looked just like Mr. Peanut. It was like he took Mr. Peanut and slapped a, um, you know, this is the nuts on him. But, uh, right. but yeah, I, I know all that stuff did well. And, in fact, I'll tell you, in one way I did have a little jealousy of Nick because, you know, we were both limit players. We were both, like, playing the same games. But, but like, I was just satisfied, okay, hey, I'm winning a lot of money in limit hold'em. Uh, this is great. I, I don't need to do anything else. And Nick was, like, like hammering at everything. He was hammering at the, at, at the tutorial videos, at the uh, – at, at the writing books, at doing this uh, affiliate stuff, making all this money. I'm like, crap, I could have done all this. And I, I, I kind of regretted it later on that I just got too satisfied with the, with the money I was making then, saying ah, this other crap's not worth the effort. I, I could have made a lot more if I got in early with all these things. But uh, I, I guess I guess the same personality that drove him to do all this also may have been the same personality that drove him to say, hey, i got to maximize my, my profits in poker, even if – all of this is not ethical. So maybe yeah, that's what exactly. happened. I don't know if it's just deeply ingrained in Wall Street guys. I mean, both those guys were Wall Street guys. So they play. I, I just, I can't explain it. I, I can't fathom having millions of dollars in my bank account and trying to gain a 2% edge on 10 twenties, you know, to try and, to try and fleece people. I mean, I just, it, it's just beyond my comprehension. Yeah, that's it. I, it's funny. I didn't expect to really talk about this in this interview, but it's interesting stuff. Uh, so, 
you are, are you planning for the uh, foreseeable future to just play uh, you know a lesser schedule, thirty hours a week on America's Card Room with a mass multi tabling, and uh, is that kind of where you're going to have things go for the future, as long as you feel okay? Yeah, I mean, until, at least until the, the landscape is the way it is with poker. I mean, I would love to go back to what I was doing. I was eight tabling, which in no limit is probably more like four or five tabling limit. Um, you know, I was eight tabling 10, 20, 25, 50, 5, 10 if I had to, if they weren't as good. And, you know, that was awesome. And now it's, you know, I mean, it's it's the tough pill to swallow. I mean, I'm playing, you know, a lot of times in, amongst my 12 tables with a 50 cent dollar and a limit hold'em wow. game. And, you know, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's a little depressing. <laughs> well, I mean, how do you, that's a good question. You know, how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with playing that low? When you've made so much, you were describing, you know, making 125000 a month for a long time, not just like one good month. How do you play now uh, 50 cent a dollar and take the money even seriously? Well, that's actually something I've had to spend a lot of time with my sports psychologist about. It's just, it feels a little bit like the way I've described to him is, you know, being in the NFL or something and then having to kind of get up for a high school football game. Um, you know, it's it's difficult, but I just try to pride myself on making the best decision I can make, and I can't control the fact that, you know, I'm playing one, two, two, four. I mean, if I'm lucky, I'll have one, five, ten in there. But, um, you know, I, I, I live in Oregon. I've got two kids. Uh, I want to see them as much as I can. I still make very good money playing one, two, and two, four. And, you know, I've been wise with the money I have made and saved. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's not what I want, but, uh, you know, I'm still pretty darn lucky. Yeah, no, I understand. People are asking in the chat room, why don't you move out of the country? Uh, this is practical to do if you're uh, a young single guy and can just jump all over the world and you, know, you don't have to worry. If you have a family, you can't just go uproot them and move them out of the country. It's not that easy. It's not a good thing to do for the family. Uh, I understand that. I, I have a similar situation to you. I'm a little bit older than you are. I think I'm nine years older than you. But, uh, you know, the same thing. I, I, it was never an option for me to get up and move out of the country uh, after Black Friday happened, never even considered for a second. And I said, I'm just going to make the best of what the situation currently is and, and hope that in the coming years things will improve. And, uh, and like you, I'm, I'm playing again right now, right now as well. I'm, I'm playing uh, on uh, Bovada actually at the moment. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, not making as much as, as I used to, but you, I, like you, I, I found a way to still make pretty decent money uh, playing at what's available and I, I can understand that and if you're making good money overall I guess the actual limit of the game doesn't really matter especially if you're playing so many tables at once uh, even if the hourly rate on one table isn't that exciting you know, multiply by 12 or 18 it becomes much better right yeah I mean I'm still making good lawyer money you know yeah. and shoot that's nothing to sneeze at so yeah. it's not it's not pro athlete money like it used to be, but you know I'm still making enough as a pretty good lawyer. So uh, that's that works for me. <laughs> so you're saying you held you're saying you held on to most of the money you made in the past because of course most poker pl- pros uh, cannot do that. They tend to chunk it off in some way or another. Uh, but I was told about you by someone I I know who's kind of a fan of yours that. Uh, he respected your approach to the game as kind of a business and, uh, and a responsible 
handling of of being a poker pro. So, you know, you've you've done a pretty good job uh, holding on to the money. Well, yeah, I've done pretty good. The only thing, the only place where I donked off a lot of money was a divorce. <laughs> oh. oh, I didn't know that. Um, I didn't so that, know you had a divorce. But yeah, so I mean that's also part of the problem with moving anywhere, is that oh yeah, you know, yeah. it's not like hey, honey, let's move. It's like well, I got a parenting plan. With, I'm supposed to be here on these days and these days to see them, and I want to be there, and you know, and so uh, there's not a lot of flexibility. No, there so, that uh, that's for sure. No, if if you want to see your kids, then you have to stay where the the other parent is. Otherwise, uh, you, you just can't. So. Uh, was the uh, if you don't want to answer this you don't have to but uh, I've I've always been fascinated with the effect poker can have on relationships uh, and I, I I've obviously experienced it myself I've had uh, two long term relationships during my poker career one was eight years and, and ended eventually not not because of poker but poker did sometimes bring some stresses to it um, and, and the current one sometimes uh, that can happen as well uh, did you do you think the poker was at all a factor, especially for you know all the multi-tabling you did, where you pretty much had to check out from everyone during that time. Would you think that had any factor in the divorce, or it didn't have anything to do with it? You don't, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I, I will. I mean, yeah, I mean, did she have some gripes over it? Sure, but I mean, I think it was a very, very small piece of the puzzle. It worked, you know, it was, it was mostly fine. And you know, I, you know, now I, I'm very sort of straightforward with, you know, anyone I date. You know, here's what it is. I mean. You know, it just is what it is. If you don't like that, no problem. And, you know, I've been going out with a girl a couple of years now, and she all thinks it's great. So, you know, I guess you just got to find the right person for that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is better if you are currently playing poker and you meet someone new and you're upfront with what you do and, and the expectations with what you'll be doing. And, and you know, then they can't complain to you, hey, you know, I don't like this because you say, like, look, you knew it when you came in. Uh, if, if it's something you pick up when you're together, then the person can complain, hey, that's not what I signed up for when I got with you. So, uh, exactly. so I, I can understand that. In my current relationship, uh, that's it started in 2009. So I, I had already been playing for eight years by then. And uh, so she was very aware of what, uh, what was coming. So, uh, okay, I think, that, uh, I think that's about it. I know you have like a, a, a book out right now. Yeah, poker in practice called Critical Concepts. Um, I think you can get it at pokerisaskill.com. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's just kind of it's kind of written for you know people that really want to take their game to the next level. It's uh, definitely assumes at least a you know intermediate to advanced kind of level, like a kind of written for the mid stakes guy and no limit. And uh, so far, people are really liking it. So you know. At least that's what I've been told. Maybe, maybe the people that don't like it just haven't told me. <laughs> okay, I, I have one other question here that uh, I've wanted to know and some people in the chat room want to know. Where did the name Leatherass come from? Yeah, well, it came out of one scene from Rounders where uh, Worm said, Mike, hey, you know, about when they were talking about Kanish, like, hey, you don't think that's work what he does, grinding it out on his leather ass all day? <laughs> And so, uh, since I was kind of known for the, amongst my buddies for the, the long sessions and just kind of playing longer than everyone else, they just kind of started calling me leather. I, I was close then. Like, <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought it had to do with, uh, the multi-tabling you were doing that, uh, you know, your, your ass felt like leather after sitting there for so long and not being able to get up. I, I was close. So, 
Uh, one, guy, one guy from the chat room says, what is your handicap these days? Referring to golf, of course. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I'm probably about a zero or plus one if I just kind of walk out to the course and I haven't hit a ball in, you know, a month or two months, which is pretty often for me, unfortunately, lately. But if I start playing for any, you know, even just a month straight or something, probably, probably like a plus four. Okay. And uh, oh, you, since you mentioned rounders, there's been talk of a possibility of a rounders too. Do you think that would be good or do you think it would be bad? Um, I mean, anything I think that gets poker in front of a large audience, I don't know how that no, I mean, I mean the movie itself, not whether it helps poker. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, well, I guess it just depends on how it's done. We'll have to wait and see. Someone else in the chat is asking uh, – if you've retired the pee bottle yet, is it true you actually used a pee bottle when you were uh, multi-tabling there? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I had some, you know, I had some behind it. I just basically, well, you know, with the way the games were at that time, you know, to keep it in perspective, I mean, I'm playing 5, 10, 10, 20, 25, 50 with legitimate fish at every single table. You know, guys that are just hemorrhaging money. And, you know, so I was making even at five ten a dollar a hand and you know overall about a dollar forty a hand. So I found when I went to the bathroom I lost, you know, a little over a hundred hands of poker. <laughs> so I'm like, hundred and forty dollars I'm spending to go to the bathroom, huh? <laughs> That's the way I looked at it. Anyway, oh, some man. people wouldn't look at that way. But I was just like, Well, I'd rather just pee in a bottle and have make hundred and forty dollars and then if I do that four times a day it's like six hundred bucks. Wow. So I, why would I six hundred dollars to go to the bathroom? I, I couldn't do that. You know, I would uh, I, I would hold it too long sometimes when I'd be, like, in a good game and didn't want to sit out. And uh, uh, I actually stopped doing that. I stopped holding it really long when one time I, I ended up having, like, a burning sensation afterwards, and it actually scared me. And I, I have a friend who's a urologist, so I asked him, and he's like, well, you know, if it cleared up afterwards, you're probably fine, but uh, what you're doing there is not healthy, and it, it can cause problems down the line, so I would stop that. So I, I stopped doing that. And uh, I, I would just go, you know, sit out to go to the bathroom. And I, I guess I started assuming everyone else is, too. Uh, I, I think the weirdest thing I ever did playing online poker was uh, one time I was in a really, really good game, but had promised to go to dinner with, uh, I forgot who, my family. I, I, I had to go. So I so badly didn't want to quit the game, but it was out of time and had to take a shower. I actually played p- online poker in the shower. Uh, where, where I actually now I didn't take the computer in the shower, but I took a computer right next to the shower. I, I had my eye on the screen. I'd shower, and then whenever my, a hand would come up, I'd pop out of the shower. You know, usually have to fold if it was a hand I couldn't play. And, but otherwise, I'd play through and then jump back in the shower. And I, I really did that until I was I was ready and until the very last possible minute. Uh, so I, I guess that's no worse than peeing in a bottle. So yeah, interesting stuff here. Got guys got a. Uh, view of what it was like to be a mass multi-tabler and the issues that come along with it and even the bonus uh, stocks trader stuff, which we probably hadn't thought about in a while. So uh, thank you, uh, Dusty, to come out and uh, for coming on the show. And uh, what's the name of your book again in case someone wants to buy it? Critical Concepts. Critical Concepts. practice and Critical Concepts. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for coming on here. And you know if uh, you're going to be out of the World Series in uh, 2015? Um, good chance, yes. Good chance. Okay, so maybe we can uh, meet again after all this time. And uh, if, if you see me there, for sure, uh, come and say hello. I will. Thank you for having me on. Okay, thank you for coming on.
Good night. Okay, so that was uh, Dusty Leatherass Schmidt. I thought inter- interesting stuff in this interview. What do you think? Yeah, very interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, his his whole concept of you know. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to say, uh, obviously, some people posted in the chat about that brain scan, and if you want to look into it, just sort of do your own research. But uh, yeah, interesting that his brain was basically sort of altered because of poker i wonder if that's you know i wonder how common that is yeah i I wonder too i mean it's believable uh call you around the air from 706 hey what's going on so so who's calling it's sean sean uga is a team hello welcome to the show how's it going thank you sitting here listening to the show playing a tournament had a little fun all right great so uh you got the you get the forty dollars that was sent uh, to you through me by split this. Hey, yes, sir. It, it was put in my bank account tonight. All right, very good. So I appreciate it. Yeah, very good. And uh, so you you got anything to talk about here? Or you just want to say hello? I was just calling to say hey. Okay. No, I'm glad to have yeah, you I here. Drove the other day. What was that? I drove my car. Oh, you drove your car? Yeah. You know, I, I was surprised about that. I saw that on Facebook, and you're, like, talking about something with driving. I go, wait a minute. I thought this guy can't move the left half of his body. How's he driving? But I, I guess you can. I can. I use my right foot. I've always used my right foot for the gas and the brake. Of course, I would never be able to drive a stick. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I guess you're. I guess I'm thinking about it, and if someone just, like, said you cannot use your left hand or your left foot... I, I guess I could do it. I think the only pain in the ass would be steering, but I could probably still manage it. As long as I don't take anything, cl- you know, any sharp turns, I'm all right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you can do that. It was, it's a it's a huge thing to yeah, suddenly not be able to drive. It's, it sucks. And it, it Right. And, and hopefully soon I'll get this uh, thing put on my car so I can uh, actually just drive outside on my wheelchair and ride up on the ramp, and then I can take it and and get out of the car and get on my wheelchair and take it places. Yeah, that, that's good. It's too heavy for right now. I can't put it in the car. This thing weighs about 500 pounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got one of the electric wheelchairs. What do I hear in the background? I kind of hear like a ooh in the background there. Uh, that's my dryer. That's your dryer. Okay. <laughs> Are you calling me from the laundry room? The room right next to it. And I got the door open. Okay, okay. Heat in. I mean, first I got uh, Dusty Schmidt with the sirens. Now I've got you with a dryer. I, I can't have any calls who are quiet in the background here. I apologize. I'm not on my cell phone, so I can't hit mute on it. Okay. <laughs> I'm on my home phone number. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're uh, you're driving and everything. Uh, you was making some progress here. And uh, are you still in the tournament you tonight? You won't let me go anywhere by myself yet, though. Yeah. <laughs> Is uh. Are you still alive in the tournament right now? No, I got knocked out. No, you got knocked out. All right, well, at least this week was a smaller one anyway, so the big prize was uh, 25 bucks this week. It's not as big of a deal. Right. All right, well... Uh, you ain't a big deal, but these days to me it's a lot. No, I know, I know. You, I know you, every little bit counts, but uh, uh, I'm just saying, if you're going to get knocked out of one, this is one of the smaller ones we've had. Right, right. And I've had fun. It gives me something to do. Yeah. That's, that's good. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying the show, and uh, you know, uh, I hope, hope things uh, keep improving for you. I appreciate it, Todd. Okay. I appreciate everything you and Drex have done for me. Yeah, no problem. All right, thank you. All right, you have a good day. Bye. That was UGA recovering from the stroke, longtime uh, member of the community. Uh, so, 
let's get to the merge topic here. Kind of, uh, I had a feeling the show might have some things that ran long because uh, just kind of a few long things we're doing. Uh, this is the Merge Network, which I'm surprised has taken us that long to get to this topic. It's such a big topic, and it's an ongoing topic, and it's something that's really perfect for this show to discuss because it's about cheating. It's about sites not handling the cheating very well. It's about vulnerability of poker sites. It's about all that type of stuff, and it's an ongoing story. You guys might remember... November 23rd, there was an issue with Merge where during a major tournament, a whole bunch of people got disconnected. And when they came back, some of the people could come back fairly quickly. Some it took a while to reconnect. But some of the people who came back found that either their whole cards just were changing, like they'd be disconnected for a short time and come back and they'd be in the same hand but with different whole cards, which is really weird. Uh, like someone went all in with queens against jacks and then came back to find they had eights against jacks and lost. So weird things like that happen. And others came back on others' accounts. Like you get disconnected, you get reconnected, and suddenly you're on someone else's account with full control of that account and that money. So really disturbing stuff. And I thought, wow, what a crappy bug. Like you can't trust the merge network if their software is doing things like this. Well, it's even worse. It's not what it appeared to be two weeks ago. It turns out that this was not just a bug in the server, but this was an intentional attack on the merge network by a serial cheater. So here's what's going on. And again, this is an ongoing story. This is everything I have right now, but um, maybe there's even an update. Uh, basically, there's a guy who had posted on 2 Plus 2 back in uh, October. He claimed that uh, PokerStars stole his money. He claimed to be Swedish. He claimed that PokerStars said he was cheating when he actually wasn't. And uh, they've closed his account, took his money, and gave it to other people on the site that he had played against. And he was acting the victim. Um, pretty soon it was discovered... This, again, it was in early October. And I'm surprised this guy even went and complained given what the real circumstance was. It was discovered that this guy was banned from PokerStars for DOSing, denial of service attacking his opponents. And what he was doing was uh, he'd get the IP address somehow of certain people who uh, he would play on PokerStars and then get involved in a big hand with them. And then, like on the river... When they would bet, he would min-raise and then hit them with a denial-of-service attack to their IP address to where their computer was overwhelmed with the uh, denial-of-service attack to where they uh, basically their computer became unusable. And uh, as a result of this, the player disconnected from PokerStars and would time out, and he'd automatically win the pot as the last one to have made the bet. So it was a, a blatant way of cheating. Now, it's important to understand he was not attacking the PokerStar servers. He was attacking the players he was playing against, and the only way he could do this was by getting their IP address, which he couldn't get off the PokerStar servers. The only way he could get it is by tricking them into giving it to him in some way. 
such as, uh, you know, connecting to them on an instant messenger and sending them a file, something where he could pull that off, something where he could, or maybe even get them to email him, something where he could learn their IP address and then later use it against them. So he couldn't just do this to some random he hadn't seen before. And, and PokerStars analyzed probably a number of complaints against him about this and found the same pattern every time, that every time the guy's min-raising, at the end his opponent suddenly disconnects and, and loses the pot, and probably they had several complaints about the same thing. And, uh, and like those guys said on the video we played, uh, you know, they figured out for sure this guy was a cheater from, from all the patterns. So PokerStars properly kicked him off and took the money in his account. And the idiot had the nerve to go on, to poke, on 2 plus 2 and bitch about this as if he was the victim. Anyway, that happened back in early October. Well, it turns out it looks like the same guy is up to his old tricks on the Merge Network. But, it, but, 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 it's not quite the same thing. It's much worse. Because he has found a way to crash the entire Merge Network rather than going after individual players. And, uh... And there was a sound effect? There was supposed to be, yes, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I, I hit the wrong button. It, it was supposed to be this one. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, per- perfect moment for it, but I messed up. So yeah, there was, that's, what supposed to have, that's what was happening there, that the merge network, when it crashed on November 23rd, it's because he was pulling that crap again. But this time, you know, the one weakness in his plan on PokerStars was that he had to know the IP address of everyone he was playing. And at tournaments, that's pretty useless because you just get plopped at the table with random people. You don't get to choose your opponents. You can't say, hey, I know this guy's IP. I'm going to sit with him and then DOS him. Uh, At tournaments, there's really no way to do this unless you're lucky enough to be up against certain people whose IPs you already have. So he figured out the merge network, which is obviously much less secure and much smaller than PokerStars. Uh, he figured out how to DOS the entire merge network and crash the whole network and basically get the, the same result. Because if he can disconnect everyone, probably including himself, then everyone would time out. And as long as he was the last to bet in a big pot, then he would win. Right. Now, like many cheaters, he did not think through subtlety and his cover very well. Like, like... If you're smart when you're cheating like this, you only do this sparingly. You only do this in key moments. Uh, you know, you play the term, tournament normally, and maybe you have to play a few tournaments and wait till a really, really critical moment where you really want your opponent to disconnect in a huge pot, where you think you may be beat. And you don't do it very often. Well, this guy, this guy not only did it often, but he was always min-raising before doing it. So he had that same pattern, too. Like a min-raise would come in, then suddenly the opponent would be disconnected. Every single time that was the situation, even his opponents were very quickly figuring out what was going on. And, uh, and then that's how this all came out, because he was not very subtle with the whole thing. And it was very clear that that's what this guy was doing. Now, he claimed he was from Sweden, and his name was Lars on 2 Plus 2. Someone else on there uncovered information that he might actually be from Spain. But truthfully... While I would like to know the guy's identity, that's not really what's all that important here. Because we're always going to have cheaters like this. We're always going to have scumbags who try to exploit the system and rip people off if they can when there's a lot of money involved. 
the more important thing is how are the players being protected from this occurring against them? And so we have a few questions here. How could this occur in the first place? At least on PokerStars, you can say they didn't do anything wrong because he was attacking people's individual computers, and PokerStars can't stop that. Uh, but how can Merge allow their whole network to be attacked like that and taken down uh, by one guy? Now, it's possible that he may have been doing what's known as a DDoS attack, a distributed denial of service attack, where there's many computers involved in attacking the network. Uh, and the way you do that is by uh, you can take over other computers by uh, you know, putting some sort of Trojan horse on their computer, tricking them into downloading things, giving you control of their computers. So you can end up having control of hundreds or thousands of computers to attack your target at the same time. So it's possible he has something like that. It's also known as a botnet. It's possible he used something like that on Merge, but there is still there are still plenty of ways to stop these sorts of attacks. Just because someone's doing a distributed denial of service attack does not mean that you cannot stop it in some way. That's why he couldn't take PokerStars down. Uh, but Merge looks like they were very vulnerable to it. And amazingly, after this happened on November 23rd, you would think on November 23rd, when the whole thing crashes and people come back with different hole cards or on different accounts... And there's all these awful things happening there that you never want to see happen in online poker. You would think that Merge would be very, very curious and say, how the hell did this occur? What the hell happened here? We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out now as to why this happened. It looked like Merge was not very curious. And that's what allowed this to occur again to where the players finally caught on as to what was happening. So... That's that's issue number one. Uh, issue number two is how Merge compensates people, people who lost in cash games because of this. Uh, remember, he was going after the whole site. He wasn't just going after one opponent. So you can say, hey, whoever he beat, just take his money from his account and give it back to them. Well, it's not that simple because when he would crash the whole site, there were players who unfairly won pots that had nothing to do with this just because they happened to be the last ones to bet when the whole thing went down. Mm-hmm. So there are tons of people who got screwed by this, by Merge's uh, very poor security with their system, That, yeah, and then others who gain from it that shouldn't have. What has Merge done about this? How has Merge made these cash players right? Now, what they did with the tournaments when they crashed like that is they just did a chop. They just said, okay, the tournament ends here, and we're going to pay everyone out who remains in the tournament based upon their equity with their chip stack. So... Uh, They did that, and that's fair, but that's no skin off their ass because they're just paying from the existing prize pool. But the cash game has become much harder for the reason I explained. There's no prize pool in cash, and if, uh, you know, two totally unrelated players were playing heads up, for example, and one of them won the pot unfairly because of this guy's actions, uh, the guy who lost needs to be made whole in some way. Right. Well, the other problem, too, is in cash games... If you're saying the person that just made the last bet ended up winning the pot, I mean, how would you even start to speculate on how the previous player would have reacted to it? I, I mean, there's just uh, it's a that's a mess to try to figure that stuff out. Yeah, you can't. So you can't. Uh, the, no. the best way they can do is just the people who, uh, I mean, the fair thing to do, but there's no way Merge is going to do this, is to analyze who lost money in these crashes in the cash games in this fashion 
not saying people who lost directly to him, not just them, but analyze who just separately at different cash tables got timed out because of this and, and uh, got auto-folded that way. Right. And just give them back what they put into the pot. Don't necessarily award them the whole pot, but give them back mm. what they put in. But the problem yeah. is going to get very expensive for merge. Also, that's not even accurately what they might have lost because if someone is betting and they just made the last bet on the river and the person who got you know, disconnected because they didn't make the last bet was going to raise them and that other person was going to call, you know, you could go down to – Again, the action isn't complete, so you don't even really know how much money it costs them. But I agree, the the only thing they could do is just give them back the money they lost. Yeah, I, I once had a situation sort of like this, except it didn't involve cheating. Uh, the inner poker software used to be so awful that if you disconnect and you're the last one to act on the river, instead of auto-checking you, it just would fold you. So I was actually in a $11,000 pot. $11,000 pot at a, what was pretty much like a 300-600 game. And I had the nut flush on the river. I think I had the absolute nuts, actually. And the guy checks to me, and I bet, and the bet doesn't take. I'm like, come on, nothing. I, for some reason, I lost connection to it, and it folded me, and he won the $11,000 pot. I was last to act. It was me and him. That's only me and him left in the pot just because I could not bet in position on the river, and he had not bet or anything. It should have auto-checked me, but it did not have an auto-check feature. So it folded me and gave him the 11 grand. I was furious. So I, I made a huge deal about this, and uh, they would not give me the whole 11,000. I, I was really mad about this, but they gave me like uh, what I put into the pot, which was like right. 4,000. So I was still kind of pissed about this. I was like, well, you, at least you didn't lose. I'm like, yeah, but I, I should have had 7,000 more dollars about this. So I, I was yeah. furious. and They actually had the nerve to then – put an advertisement in the next issue of card player that their new software now has the auto check back when you disconnect like the next month they really they really made that change and, and then advertised it bragged about it after i got screwed but uh now yes i did sometimes gain from this when other people would time out in the same way but but uh, this was such a huge pot it was a huge pot in a huge game and I, i'm pretty sure i was a net loser in that, even after they gave me my 4000 back or whatever. But, but yeah, uh, Merge has not done very much here. In fact, they've been kind of hiding from the problem. They haven't publicly acknowledged, as far as I know, that this has been occurring, that they've been getting attacked. Uh, apparently, they told people this privately, who got some refunds, but not people publicly yet. So they've been, there's been a very uh, underwhelming response from Merge here, and I'm also worried that they don't have deep enough pockets to really make people properly whole. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think that's a possibility. I think that's probably a certainty. Yeah, so that, that's the problem with sites like this, is that uh, they when something major goes wrong, it's kind of like, well, tough luck on you. We can't really afford to make it right for you. So even if you totally got screwed, tough luck. Just just deal with it. That's some of the risk you take when you play here. And, and that's just really, really bad. And I, I think the big problem is how did this occur in the first place? I mean, to have yeah. an online poker site that, one, can be DDoS so easily, or maybe just DOS. If, if it was just him, denial of servicing, without other bots, bot computers hammering it at the same time, if it was really just one IP address hammering them like this and it took it down, that's really embarrassing. Uh, we, we don't know, but if it's really just him doing it without uh, the assistance of other computers he's taken over, that's really bad. 
but even if it was a distributed denial of service, they have to have measures in place to stop this. And uh, the fact that they don't have anything in place if there's like a mass disconnect to just pause the whole thing. Pause the hand for you know a very long time until everybody can reconnect. Or, or cancel the hand or something. I mean, there's got to be... They, what they definitely should have considered and expected is that maybe there would be an internet outage to where everyone would disconnect at the same time, not from anything uh, criminal or anything that's being done intentionally, but just an internet connectivity issue that right. might disconnect everyone at the same time. They, sat, they should also, have something it, in place for that. These connectivity issues don't explain why you would come back on somebody else's account. Right, and that's the second thing I was going to bring up, that when this happened two weeks ago, one, how did they not discover that this was something intentional from looking into it? And, and two... Uh, why is their system having so many problems? Why is it such a poorly designed system that when someone does this, it has this weird, unintended side effect of bringing people back on the wrong accounts or seeing wrong hole cards? And, and speaking of wrong hole cards, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess there's a graphics bug, which Ultimate Poker had too, by the way, at one point, where uh, you'll sometimes see the same card – uh, twice. So there's a funny screenshot. I guess it's funny to us because we weren't the ones playing it. But the funny screenshot of a guy named Ride the Splooge who's uh, playing against uh, Baker 3030. Ride the Splooge has, has what looks like a good hand. Ace, Jack of Spades. And the board is 2, 3, 6, Jack, Queen with 3 spades. So it sounds like he has the nuts. Except there's one problem. Uh, the One of the 3 spades on the board is the Jack of Spades. <laughs> so so he's got the jack of the spades in his hand and it's on the board like imagine seeing that imagine you're playing poker and you think you've got the nut flies and you go wait a minute the jack of spades is in my hand and on the board <laughs> so so i'm making a flush with my own card somehow uh my, my own card's being used twice to make the flush so uh, the guy actually tweeted out a tough decision here on the river and uh in reality the disconnect and reconnect made this graphics bug occur where he actually just had ace high and not ace jack of spades really or or, or not ace high. he had a busted flush draw i think the jack of spades on the board was supposed to be like a king of clubs or something like that so in reality so so just a completely wrong board to where if it hadn't been duplicating the jack he definitely would have gone all in and then gotten the root surprise uh, the bottom line is this is very unstable software it's one thing if people are getting disconnected from a DDoS attack and you say, well, they should have ways to stop that, but at least you can kind of understand it. There's been really large, major sites from very deep-pocketed companies that have been brought to their knees by DDoS attacks. So you can say, well, maybe if it's, if it's a strong, sophisticated attack, uh, what can Merge do? But uh, these software issues that are happening as a side effect from the attack, that's indicative that the software has a lot of bugs and problems and really isn't fit for operating real money online poker. And we have not heard any comment from Merge about that. Oh. There's also someone saying in the chat that uh, the WPN network is having the same issues right now. Yeah. Well, what do you mean the same issues? Like these weird bugs or just the same type well, of uh, disconnection? Yeah. Well, that's, so that's the other thing. So we have a guy that posts on the site occasionally named How Quaint, and How Quaint, uh, he reminds me a bit of Stocks Trader without the cheating. Uh, 
Uh, How Quaint runs professionalrakeback.com, which is a rakeback site. And uh, yeah, he posts here occasionally. He's also a limit hold'em player. He's also won a lot of money doing that. But uh, you know, like Stocks Trader, he wasn't satisfied with just winning money in limit hold'em. So he's he he runs affiliate sites. He has a a close relationship with a lot of the uh, sites out there that uh, currently exist. Especially, I'm talking about the uh, not the legalized online poker sites, but all, all the other ones. So Merge is one of them that he's had a long time close relationship with. And uh, he was saying that uh, you know he's assisting in the investigation in this whole matter. He said, there's a lot more to this story. We've been working on it since before this incident and Merge. It is not localized to Merge in any way, shape, or form. I'll post the story here once it gets finished up. So he's saying that he's seen this on other networks before it even happened on Merge. Because he's, you know, he runs this uh, affiliate site and has a close relationship with a lot of different networks, and he's saying that this is a, it's an ongoing problem that's occurring to other networks. And as you said, people in our chat room are saying that it's happening to the Winning Poker Network, America's Card Room, etc. Uh, that this is a new way for people to cheat in poker, and that basically these cheaters are taking the position until the sites take steps to stop this, they're going to keep doing this. So it's pretty disturbing. Uh, I haven't seen it happen on Bovada where I've been playing. I haven't seen any crashes on Bovada. I haven't seen anything out of the ordinary there. Uh, Though definitely if it happens, I'm going to stop playing at the moment (laughs) and not just come right back. But uh, pretty concerning thing here especially if this is not just one guy doing it, if there's a big network of people doing it. And if these sites can't get this right quick enough and they can't take some steps against it, I think a very simple step against it, uh, it's not a perfect solution, uh, but if you can't stop the DDoS from crashing the site or disconnecting everyone, uh, a temporary solution would be one, to freeze all the games and stop operating the games for some time until, uh, you know, when this happens. And two, cancel the hand and just re- refund the money to everyone. Now, yes, uh, this would allow people who have missed a flush draw to do this and get out of losing the money. But also at the same time, analyze who seems to be benefiting from this when it happens and, and close accounts and make it very clear that you're going to close accounts of anyone who does this. And and it'll stop. Like, if this stops being profitable, it's not going to continue. But uh, they, they have to do more. There, there has to be some proactive attempt to prevent this. They can't just... It looks like they're just kind of sitting on their hands and, and letting this happen and, and, and trying to figure it out as it occurs, which I don't think is the right way to be handling it. But so if I understand right, you're saying there's a group now that's doing this on purpose to expose these flaws? No, 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 no. I think that just oh, maybe okay. there's a number of people who say, hey, there's a way to make money. Oh, I see. Okay. And that they're saying, hey, you know, forget just merge. We're going to do this everywhere. Like we're going to hit every site which is vulnerable to this. We we were going yeah, about it the wrong way before. Why are, we, why are we DOSing people, individuals that we had to go get their IP somehow and trick them into giving us their IP? That's kind of small time. Why, why not just nail the whole site? I think that's what uh, what they're doing here, and maybe it's more than one guy. So, you know, anytime there's a whole lot of money somewhere, 
you're going to have people that are going to try to find a way to steal it. It's, it's always been this way. Way before any of us were born, it's been this way in the world. Mm-hmm. So online poker is no different. And yeah. the problem with playing on these small networks is that you never know how vulnerable they are. You never know how secure their software is. I don't think anyone would have guessed before that something like this could cause people to come back on others' accounts uh, or see the wrong hole cards. Uh, obviously, this software is not as robust as it should be. So uh, this is really a big issue, and it's an ongoing story. And uh, the sad thing is that uh, even if the culprits are identified, probably nothing's going to happen to them. So pretty ugly. And I would stay away from Merge right now. And if it's happening on America's Card Room or Winning Poker Network, I'd stay away from there too. I would stay away from any network where this is occurring or you're going to have problems. You're just asking for it. I mean, imagine the frustration. Imagine if you're in a big hand and then you get disconnected because your opponent was the last one to bet, you lose. Even if it's not, even if the opponent who did this is not even the one who is DOSing it. Even if it's just an innocent guy who happens to benefit from the actual cheater at another table crashing the whole site. I mean, imagine the frustration there. Now, in the instances where people's whole cards changed, did they actually change, or was this just a graphic? No, it's just like a graphic. No, no, no. There's two things. Uh, there was a graphic. I know. Thing. I know there were two separate things. Yeah. But... No. Th- no. It's two different problems. There's a graphics thing, and where whole cards actually did and change. And the actual cards changed. Yes. There was a guy who reported he had queens. He went all in. Uh, got called by Jax. Then the whole thing crashed. Then he reconnected shortly after that, and it showed he had eights. And then he actually lost the hand, despite the fact that Jax didn't improve. Okay, so he really did have... Yeah, he really did have different hole cards, yeah. So two different things. So, yeah, it's a mess. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, good for poker stars for uh, being robust (laughs) enough to... Yeah, well, when did they release that security video? (laughs) It was almost shortly after that. It was like November 25th. It was before the stories of this came out fully, but it had already happened. They already banned this guy back in early October, but back then he was just hammering individual people. Did they what? I said, did they ban him or did they hire him? Yeah, maybe he's one of those guys in the video. Uh, we we know about security here because we're the ones who are crashing other networks. So we're very uh, – in order to prevent crime, you have to uh, perpetrate it first. Then you have the most experience with it. Uh, so that's, that's pretty bad stuff here. And uh, I'd stay away from Merge and even the Winning Poker Network as long as this is happening. The good thing, if you have money there, you can just uh, – sit and not play and you're probably okay for right now. They're not stealing money out of accounts. They're just uh, right. knocking it offline. And uh, if you happen to be there, you're in trouble. Uh, it's got Jay Acosta. He loves hearing his name said. He, he just messages me, Jay Acosta is God. But I've got a bone to pick with this guy. Uh, okay. He said he had something very similar to say as I did in a certain thread and someone brought that up. Like, why are you saying exactly what Druff said? And he said that... Uh, we're pretty much separated at birth 30 years apart. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. How old does he think I am? 30 years apart. I, I don't think he's 12. So well, maybe he's 70. I thought that. I thought maybe the, my only chance is that he's like 72. He's like an old guy and, uh, you know, just, just 
has the uh, writing style and demeanor of a young guy. As the only, otherwise, the guy must think I'm like 55 or something. So that's a, I didn't think I project that here. I don't think I sound that old. I, I actually think, and, and I'm pretty sure this is true. I'm not sure of this, but uh, I think this is true from what's been told to me. Uh, my voice is very similar, almost identical to what it was 25 years ago. Now, 25 years ago, I sounded old for my age. And, and when I would talk to like, girls on the phone who hadn't met me yet, like off party lines and stuff, they, they wouldn't believe that I was 17. And that was actually a problem. They thought I was like some pedophile. And it was really annoying because I was born the same year they were. But uh, my voice has stayed pretty much the same for 25 years. And now I think that I sound younger than my actual age is. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, so I, I can't see how someone would listen to me on here. I mean, yeah, I talk about stuff from the 80s and play old music, but... It didn't help me tonight that I played a song you wanted from 1975. <laughs> but, uh, um, and by the way, that song sounds totally 1975. Like, oh, like, yeah. And by know... the way, if you look up that uh, album, that may be the gayest album cover ever. <laughs> Which I know a lot of listeners of this show will enjoy. Yeah, they, they probably will. But you know what? I think having a gay show actually is uh, – beneficial these days because uh, sure. it's been predicted by certain people that Jason Somerville is going to win the bluff poll, that his show is going to win the bluff poll, and and he's gay. So uh, maybe that's the thing the, these days, to have a poker show and be gay. Uh, we need to pull in more of that segment is what you're saying. Yeah. More, more gay-friendly segments on the show. I think I need to do that. We, we do have some gay listeners, so you know I, maybe I should make this more of a gay show. Uh, but, but look, I, I don't think that I – come off as someone who's in their mid-50s. But, you know, maybe to someone in their 20s, I just seem old. Maybe that's it. I, I will say that one time when Eric Ryland, um, when Eric Ryland had me call up some girl that he had been talking to and I pretended to be him, uh, she was kind of freaked out even though she'd never talked to him on the phone before. And uh, later he told me that she was concerned that he sounded a lot older than she expected. So... Now, it's true, Ryland's much younger than me, but uh, I, I was kind of sad to hear that, like that uh, some girl expecting a guy in his you know, early to mid-20s to call was that put off by hearing me and thinking, oh, who's this old dude calling me? So uh, Bobby Orr saying to me in the chat that I'm delusional when I said to Leatherass, you know, Dusty Schmidt, that uh, we're close to the same age, only nine years difference. He's saying that nine years is a whole lot and that uh, that's, not, that's not close to the same age. It's almost a decade. Yeah, I know. I know nine years is a big deal, but I, you know, I think of myself nine years ago, and I say, yeah, there's some differences, uh, but uh, I, I still see kind of the same age group. Well, would you date a woman nine years older than you? No. Well, there you go. Well, you know, I'll tell you this: there are some guys who are really obsessed with young girls that only want to date girls who are much younger. And then there's also young guys who have this thing for cougars who want to date women who are much older, and that's some big thrill. I can tell you I've never been into the cougar thing, even when I was young. And uh, you know, if I were to be dating now, my policy would be my age or younger. I'd be totally fine with my own age, uh, but I, I wouldn't want older. I wouldn't want to date someone who's like 45. But like my own age is fine. Like 42 is okay, 41 is okay, 40 is okay. Uh, in, in some ways, it's actually better because they're more mature and, and easier to deal with and uh, 
you know, I have more in common with them. So, like, the problem when you're my age dating a 22-year-old is uh, it's harder to relate to them. And, in fact, they, they probably annoy yes. you a lot more easily. So, yes. uh, so for that reason, like, if, if I were to meet a girl online now, if I, were, if I were dating, I'd be much happier to hear she's, like, 33 than 22. There's no question. But right. uh, uh, how have you felt about it? Have you ever liked older women? I mean, liked in that I've been attracted to. Yes, I've never dated anyone significantly older or younger. I mean, it's probably max been a two, three-year window either way, usually. Uh, actually, I guess they've all been younger except one maybe was a year or two older. But, uh, yeah, I've always been attracted, I guess. You know, I've been attracted to them, but I've never pursued them, really. Yeah, I see. I've never even found myself really attracted to older women, except the one exception I yeah, can certain. think of. One exception I can think of when I was 20 and I was working at a summer job uh, programming uh, and, and everybody at that company was older except for me. So like it was just me and a bunch of older people who was that it was like their regular full time job. Uh, there was a woman there in a different department, but one associated with ours who was 35 and I was 20 and she was really hot. And I was, you know, I was very attracted to her and I, I would have totally loved to have gone out with her. I, I never attempted to. Uh, and she didn't even seem like from her personality type that she would like a 20 year old. But uh, I, I would have totally been into her. Uh, but I actually thought of it not too long ago. I'm like, thank God I like never got into her and like had a relationship because <laughs> right. she, she'd be like 57 now. There's no way she's yeah. still hot. There's, there's no way. That's a problem. There's no way. Uh, it, that's a Kenny. That's a Kenna James problem. Kenna James married a woman I think 21 years older than him, and um, they got a divorce not too long ago. But you know, you saw them together. Yeah, a few years ago, whenever they were still married, and you know, here he was in his forties, and and she was like sixty-five, and it looked like he was with his mom. She wasn't even like a young-looking sixty-five. She looked like an old woman, and and, and, and Kenneth James kind of had like a you know a young demeanor to him. He didn't look that young, but you know, he would he didn't come off as like a an older guy. He, he kind of seemed like a, a still a fun-loving guy in his in his forties. Like yeah. you don't picture him. With like a grandmother-looking type, but that's no, who he's with, with. Literally a senior citizen. Yeah, so so that didn't last, and that's the big problem when you're when you're a, a guy who's with a woman who's older than you. Uh, you know, when you're twenty and she's forty, if she still looks good for her age, then you can say, okay, yeah, wow, I can be into that. But you know, what about twenty years from now when you're forty? You're, you're not going to want to be into a sixty-year-old. Yeah, I, I still remember. You doing a segment on must have been the old radio show about your sort of three uh, what was it guidelines for dating and one of it was no bigger than a five year difference either way because you just won't relate to each other. Well, that was for uh, for like actual relationships rather than just casual dating. But I mean, yeah, that was uh, it wasn't a hard rule, but I, I found that that's what I ended up gravitating to. That that when they were much younger than me, I just. When it comes to start getting like serious, I, I'd kind of back away from it because I, I would right. really start to sense that it was not going to work. Well, if it's a casual relationship, it's, does it really matter? Yeah, then I mean. it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, uh, let me put a call on here from uh, looks like New Mexico. Call her, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, here's a girl. So, uh, who's this? Uh, Diesel49 at Tom Crusader t- tweeted you a couple times. Okay, okay. Hi. So, uh, what's going on? So, yeah, I was just giving a call about, um, 
a little bit of no fraud taking place in my job place. So, uh, so I worked for a phone company and during the holidays, like we have a lot of cash on us and shit just because, you know, it's a holiday. They want to make a payment and whatnot. So every day the guy comes and picks up the money, leaves, blah, 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 except on the weekend. So sometimes we'll have two, maybe three bags of money, all with like 6,000 a piece. Mm-hmm. So recently, um, it's similar to bullets, how they're looking to rob their fucking boss, open his safe and whatnot. Um, so all the money we keep, we all have access to the safe. So someone came in Sunday night, they made away with like about 15,000 or so. So they're pretty much uh, trying to analyze the video and see who it is. He did something I never would have thought of in a million years, but to shield himself from the camera, he used an umbrella. And you just squatted down, basically, so you couldn't see him at all. <laughs> and so, well, was it at least yeah, rain- was it raining did- that day at least? Well, no, not not at all. The I came the next day. The manager asked me if I owned an umbrella, and I gave him the craziest look. I'm like, bro, it's fucking Vegas. Why would I? Why would I need an umbrella? Well, wouldn't someone notice so him I- walking in with an umbrella? Like, it'd be best to do this on a rainy day when everyone has an umbrella. Yeah, I mean, it, where we live, there's so many bums. There's literally two bums who live behind us inside a transformer. So people aren't really paying too much attention. It's like off of, it's like the Tropicana Flamingo area. So, uh, oh, wait, this is actually, so in, this is in Las Vegas? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a local. My number is for New Mexico. Though. Oh, okay. I, 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 was, I was picturing this happening in Albuquerque where Alvin Finkelstein is from, and then it turns out this is Vegas, so wow. <laughs> Um, I was picturing maybe someone got shanked in the process. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so, um, so, so you work for a, so, a phone company in in uh, like a regular phone company, like uh, what is it? Like yeah, like Sprint and shit like okay, that. Yeah. Okay. So, so and you take so, um, payments in that center there, and then someone stole fifteen thousand dollars from there. And they're trying with an umbrella, <laughs> covering them up. And, yeah, uh, pretty much. Um, when I I suspected it was one person who worked there, but when I heard about the umbrella, it just seemed way too smart an idea for him. And they kind of – they tried to blame one of the other managers there. Um, I'm one of two black guys there. He happened to be the other one. And the reason they thought it was him is since the guy was squatting down, his, like, ass and hips were a little more exaggerated than usual. <laughs> so pretty much they're going around <laughs> saying – Well, hold on. Hold on, though. Is it, the, okay. is it true that black guys have a big ass? I thought it was only the women. A little bit of both. I mean, uh. we're pretty poorly. I mean, look at the, look at more East Sounds, Drew. I, I don't know. I He's just like, – I guess it's because I don't look at black guys' asses. I just I always figured the big ass black thing was about women, and that. Uh, you know. I mean, maybe it's a little. It's probably one of those uh, addition by subtractions. I mean, maybe white guys have such little asses. It seems like black guys have big asses. That's probably true. My ass could is actually could very be flat. One of those. Yeah, my ass is very flat, so that's. Uh, I definitely fit <laughs> that stereotype. Okay, so. There, there's- there's another illuminating factor from the person I thought it was is he's pretty skinny, just a strangely white guy. <laughs> Anyways, um, so they go through all that bullshit. They finally found out who it was. It was like some young kid there, some shit like that. But anyways, I, I just thought it'd be like a nicely entertaining story. I thought it was funny. It was ingenious. So, so wait, it, the, it the kid who did it, the kid who did it, uh, he worked there. Yeah. Like he, um, he he worked there like he was kind of new. He was supposed to be like the manager's protege. He would kind of try and talk down to him like he was this kid and like he's trying to groom him for something. But really, that that kid just had he just had his own life basically. He had other plans. 
Okay, now were you saying I, I'm a little confused here? Were you saying that you were black or that? Uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, 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 I am. I didn't I'm know just that. one or two. The reason I wasn't a suspect is I, I guess I was too much of a fat ass to be considered. I said so. You were too fat for the uh, the camera there. Okay, well, I, you know, I'm I'm glad here by the way that we have such a diverse listener base. We uh, I, I see now we have. Uh, I, I know there's more than one black guy now who listens to the show, and then we have uh, I have some women listening to the show. I have uh, probably, probably uh, the same ratio as my job. Yeah, I have, I have some. Ga- I have some, I have some <laughs> gay two. guys that listen but, uh, here. I mean, I really have. Uh, I have some token members of every uh, group here listening to the show. It's good. Yeah, I've been listening since the third episode. Uh, bring uh, bring Brandon back if possible. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Or, I, I mean, I, I've I've asked Brandon to come back. It's like Brandon. It's funny. He goes through these stages where he really wants to come back and misses it, and says, "Okay, I'm going to be coming back soon. I may not be there every week, but I'll come back." And say, "Okay, sure," and, and then he doesn't come back. And then uh, it could just be uh, the ups and downs of the football season, maybe. I, I don't know what it is. It's uh, you know I don't have any expectation. He's not forced to do the show. He doesn't own any part of this site. He never got paid to do the show. He never will get paid to do the show. So it's something that people do if they enjoy it and if they have the time for it. And if they don't, I has no hard feelings. So yeah, he has an open invitation to come back anytime. I just I, I know when he says that he's going to come back. I, I I've learned not to get too excited until it really does occur. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, this, this guy—it's he, like he's picking he's you up from host. the airport, Todd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. But I mean, you've had some pretty solid co-hosts, with the exception of that one drunk-ass guy. Yeah, Drew Doc. Yeah, that's uh, Marty there. <laughs> solid, solid interview today as well. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and uh, you know, we don't have many interviews here, but I, I like to have them if I think they will bring some content here. So, all right, it's always good to yeah. hear from. Uh, Listeners we haven't heard from before. I know you've you've tweeted me before. I know who you are from Twitter. But uh, uh, thanks, yep. and it's interesting to hear about the, the money that was stolen. How would they figure out the guy did it? How would they figure out about the dude who stole? Okay, so um, pretty much they, as he was running away, they claimed that his umbrella flipped over and they saw his face. Hmm. But I mean, what happened? They hired a PI and everything. He grilled him, said it was you, blah blah blah. But I guess the truth is, in the actual video. In the frame, you can't see anyone's face. They just kind of see the umbrella go up, but you can't really see the back. You can, can't even see the back of his head. But, I mean, he, they just pressured him enough to where he just confessed to it, basically. Yeah, I was going to say, if if uh, a white guy did it, and they were even bothering to question black guys, then clearly they saw nothing in the video. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's fair. All right, well, thanks, the, for, thanks. Female workers there. All right, well, um, one of the female workers there, pretty much the same question. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the call there, and uh, yeah, keep listening to the show. Yep. No problem. You Thank you. All right. So it's a Vegas local calling in. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Let's get to the next uh, topic here. I knew the show was going to go long. I knew it. All right. So uh, I think we've said all we can about merge. We'll we'll update mm-hmm. this next week. Well, there's a battle going on in California involving poker stars. It's one we've talked about here a number of times. California is pretty close to legalizing online poker. It's the truth. It's it's something that I'd be surprised if it does not happen in 2015. We won't be playing most likely in 2015, but it's something I expect to see happen in 2015, and by the time everything gets going, 
will be 2016, maybe late 2015, but I think by the time everything gets done, it'll be early 2016. But I'll, I'll be happy to see that. You know, that's not too far away. We're almost at the end of 14 here. Uh, the big point of contention right now, the big thing holding all of this up is the matter of poker stars. And uh, basically, the tribes that have contracted with poker stars to provide the games, to provide the software and the support and everything, basically be playing like a poker stars California. They obviously want poker stars to be allowed in the market here. And everybody who is not contracted with poker stars doesn't want stars because it's very tough competition. So nobody wants to compromise because there really isn't a compromise. It's either they're here or they're not. And um, this is what's known as the bad actor clause. The reason it's called the bad actor clause is because poker stars did break U.S. law for four and a half years between October 2006 and April 2011 by continuing, continuing to offer real money online poker after the passage of the UIGEA. Specifically, they broke the law by uh, uh, receiving deposits from people and um, you know, using those deposits for online gambling and also by misrepresenting the transactions with credit card companies and banks as to you know, what they were actually charging. So they, they definitely were breaking the law in many ways uh, during those four and a half years, and they made a shitload of money while doing it. Uh, basically, the argument here from the anti-Poker Stars people is they should not be allowed here. They were criminals who broke the law for four and a half years. They didn't respect U.S. law, and they got an unfair advantage in being uh, earlier to market and having a lot more experience in the industry because they were breaking the law while the rest of us couldn't and chose not to and chose to follow the law. So for that reason, Poker Stars is a bad actor. And they should not be granted a license. Basically, these are criminals. They're not, they should not be allowed here. Even if they've since made agreements with the DOJ, uh, the state of California shouldn't allow a company like this here, even if they have a new owner. And uh, that's, that's the argument from the anti-Poker Stars tribes. The pro-Poker Stars tribes, the ones that have uh, partnered with them, are saying, hey, you know, Poker Stars, uh, they've already paid their fine to the DOJ. They, uh, they're keeping their noses clean now. The matter's settled. It's done. Uh, they're, not, they're definitely suitable to provide online poker, and their software is definitely suitable here. What happened in the past uh, is in the past. It shouldn't have anything to do with the present. And that the ones objecting to this are only doing this to gain an unfair competitive advantage by shutting out what they perceive to be the greatest competition. So you can understand the argument on both sides. Both sides have valid arguments. Yes, the tribes wanting the bad actor clause in California are the ones that uh, only want it to shut out the toughest competition. It's like it's like you're going to go sit down at a poker table and you notice a really good player is about to sit down and you're trying to come up with reasons why they shouldn't allow him at the table. And the real reason you don't want him at the table is just because you're afraid he's going to beat you. So that's definitely what's happening here. But at the same time, poker stars did break the law. They did get an unfair advantage. And, uh, you know, these sites kind of have a point. And also, you know, Party Poker, they bailed out of the U.S. market after the UIGEA. They lost 
out on a lot of money they could have made. So why are they not getting rewarded for that, for, for backing off at that point? So that that's the two yeah. sides of this. And the I'm sorry, uh, I know you probably well, have a Yeah, I, I was just going to say my problem with that is <laughs> the people that say, well, they've paid their fine, so they've paid their due. Yeah, but they paid that with the money they made being operating illegally. Yeah, it's, it's like and they Kenny, made more than what they paid. Yeah, it's like so Kenny KGB people, saying, "I pay you with your own money." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the people like Party Poker, who said, "Okay, we'll respect your laws. We'll wait until you, you know, make this legal. We'll go away, and then we'll come back." And they see Poker Poker Stars made, you know, however many billion dollars, and they paid a seven hundred million dollar fine. Yeah, it, it just doesn't seem. Right. And they have a more mature product and better customer service practices. Right. They, they got to gain a lot from their time in the market during those four and a half years. Uh, but uh, the uh, they also gained loyal followers who are you know who are eager to play them again. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, brand recognition so, definitely. So there's a bill, California Assembly Bill Nine, known as AB Nine. Uh, Mike Gatto from Los Angeles uh, introduced it. And it's called the uh, Internet Poker Consumer Protection Act of 2015. But it's not really about uh, protecting consumers. It's it's really uh, just another online poker legalization bill. And uh, and this one has the bad actor clause. And uh, it's got a 12-tribe coalition that backs this bill. Uh, the... The ones that um, – there, there used to be a 13-tribe coalition, but the San Manuel tribe of Mission Indians uh, is probably going to use PokerStars software if it gets legalized. So obviously, they dropped out. They're not, they're, they're not for this anymore. So, right. so it's very clear what's going on on both sides. And it's, it's creating this ongoing issue with uh, no one knows in the state really who to side with. They, the legislators don't know who to side with. And, and I think a lot of people who want to vote on legalizing online poker, whatever way they want to go on this issue, they're feeling pressure from the other side. Now, who's on the other side? In, in addition to San Manuel, who's on the other side? Uh, a pretty strong group. Uh, let, let me get to the list here. Okay, the, the, in addition to uh, San Manuel, it's uh, Commerce, which is the largest uh, live poker room in the world, Hawaiian Gardens Casino, another L.A. area casino, and the iconic Bicycle Casino. So uh, they, as well as the Morongo Band of Mission Indians, which is another very large uh, casino in uh, California, Casino Morongo. So... You have two Indian tribes, the Morongos and the San Manuel, and then you have Commerce, Hawaiian Gardens, and Bike all together who are trying to push for allowing poker stars. So it's not like some tiny tribe is on the allow poker stars side and everyone else is uh, is against them. Now, one of the strongest opponents of poker stars is Paula. And if you remember, Paula is the one that uh, recently made the agreement with uh, with with Jim Ryan of uh, of formerly of UB in New Jersey, 
and uh, you know they they are not going to have the uh, Poker Stars product. They're going to have a, a party poker product. So they definitely want Poker Stars out of there because if Poker Stars is out of there, then they probably have the best product. Right. So, I mean, I I, I don't think anybody's fooled by the anti-Poker Stars side. I don't think anyone really believes that these 12 tribes think that Poker Stars is the root of all evil. I think everyone knows why they want it, but it's, right. a, it's a tough decision to make because uh, if you make the decision to block out Poker Stars and you're, you're doing something to just uh, – you're caving into those that want to shut out the competition. Uh, if, you, if you allow Poker Stars, you're, allow, you're rewarding Poker Stars for breaking the law all this time and screwing companies like Party that uh, backed out of the U.S. market when they were told to. So it's a tough decision by California lawmakers, and that's what's stalling this whole thing. And regardless, they are going to be discussing this very vigorously, both now and at the beginning of the legislative session in 2015. I think we'll probably get an answer within the coming two months. It's my prediction. So hmm. we'll probably know soon. I mean, do we know the nature of the deals between, like, the commerce and the bike with poker stars? I mean, if they just say, okay, no bad actors, can't they just partner with somebody else? I mean, like, I, I don't see why it's such a big deal for them. Couldn't they? Yes, they could. They could partner with somebody else, uh, but they don't want to. They, they've, they've, they've got the best site, so they say, right, because okay, they feel they'll have the biggest competitive advantage. with yeah, the stars. they don't want to give it up. They've got, they've got what's going to win. So. Right. Nobody wants to give it up, so that's it's going to be a tough one. And uh, the truth is, I think that as big as California is, and it's got one ninth of the U.S. population, it's got you know, well over thirty million people, and a lot of them like poker. It's a, I think, per yes. capita, uh, a poker-loving state compared to other states. I agree, partially due to the demographics. Yeah, so uh, I think there's. A lot of people that uh, will support. I don't think you're going to have fail rooms like you had in Nevada or even New Jersey, but I think that uh, there still are not going to be as many bustling sites as you might expect. I think there's going to be maybe two or three dominant sites, maybe even just two dominant sites, and everything else is going to be a fail site. So, yeah, uh, because it, it, they are still splitting it with the unregulated market as well. So yeah. it's not just that that whole market is in you know, one kind of pot. There's still the the pirates out there, Drew. <laughs> the pirates. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the truth is uh, people are going to gravitate toward what they know to be the best and most active online poker site. Why are you going to want to sign up to some tiny site with a tiny bit of action if you know there's like a, a really big site, you know, whatever one is running the PokerStar software, that's where you're going to go to. That's where you're going to want to play because it's going to have the most games running. Maybe some people are going to realize that the smaller sites might have softer games and the, there's some opportunity there. But I don't think you're going to get enough. I don't think you're going to have like several big sites in the state of California. I think it's going to all kind of go to two big players. I think maybe the PokerStars-based ones and the party-based ones and everything is going to be uh, – uh, maybe WSOP.com can also be a, a factor with the 888 software just because of their brand ne- recognition and they can launch using the uh, license from the Harris Rincon Casino they own. Or they, right. they don't own it, but they're associated with it. So the the ones that will be using the same software, will they essentially be skins and sharing the same player pool or will they be totally separate rooms? Yeah, they'll be skins. 
I see. Okay. Yeah. So like the bike and the commerce, it'll be the same player pool. They'll just be skins okay. and, you know, whoever they sign up, they, you know, they get their share of the rake. So, uh, we'll see what happens there. It's, uh, but there is another bill going on in California. The, the, the wheels are turning in California, no matter whether it uh, allows poker stars or not. Well, we're going to uh, try to make a call now. We're going to break up the monotony of the poker talk and try to make a call. Uh, I'm trying to think the way I should do this. You know, I'm just going to tell you guys what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just going to let everybody know. This may not be even a good number. Um, I was recently given the phone number of Howard Lederer. So hmm. we're going to try to call him. He, I don't know if he will stay on the phone. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I've got to think of a premise here. I, I didn't have time to think of it because it really dropped on me right as the show was starting. So I didn't have time to think of a, a prank call premise. It can't be too outrageous or I'll hang up. I'm also thinking maybe I shouldn't do the direct approach and just say, you know, we're poker fraudulent radio or else I have no comment. So I've got to get something in between here maybe that uh, – hmm. uh, what, what would be a good premise? Maybe the chat room want to help. What, what do you guys think I should do when I call Howard Litter? Provided he answered, provided it's a real phone number. Uh, it'll be some kind of prank call. I, I don't expect Howard to get on and have a frank discussion of the theft of the full tilt money. Well, I was going to say it depends what you're trying to lead him into, but no, there's no way he's going to admit to anything. But uh, there's something funny, like like I loved the call I did on a different radio show uh, to Russ Hamilton, where I pretended to be representing Travis McCarr, who got into some right. legal trouble with a, 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 a road rage incident, and that uh, demanding that he help out with the legal fees. And you know, Russ was really buying it because he knew that Travis had a lot on him. So it was a great call. I don't have anything that good to use on Howard, but uh, um, let me think here. You could ask. Uh, <laughs> you could ask to book him for a speaking engagement. Yeah, you know that might be good. Like I, I, I can't make it. Like I, I was gonna say maybe I can call and pretend to be a lawyer for someone or something. But I was like, you know, there, no one's gonna call him at like nine twenty at night uh, saying they're a lawyer. But yeah, maybe like a speaking engagement. Uh, say I, I see your sister's doing this. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Annie Duke is doing these, these stupid speaking engagements. Yeah, maybe I should say that. Uh, now, what should it be? What, what and then just company? you know, in the, later in the call, in the end, stick the knife in about you know, are you going to teach people how to cheat people out of money? <laughs> so uh, uh, maybe we'll say we're having a convention in uh, in January for the American Entrepreneurs Association, and that we heard that. Uh, that he was very successful in, um, you know, in his investments in an online poker and management of an online poker site. Let's see. Let's see what he does with that. Let's see if he even answers. I, we might be talking a lot about nothing because probably you know, given the show's history. But yeah. yeah. Well, uh oh. Speaking of the show's history, I hung up on uh, poor Daredevil. You there? Uh oh. I hit the wrong button and knocked him off. This is my fault. Damn it. Hello. Here you are. Sorry, but I hit the wrong button what and I... knocked you off. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. All right, let's try this here. Let's try to see if we can reach Howard Letterer. 
Mexican entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Hello? Hey, hello. Can I speak to uh, Howard, please? Uh, who's calling? Uh, hello. My name is, uh, is, is Chico Gonzalez, and uh, I got a uh, your number from, uh, from a list or somewhere, but... Uh, uh, we are from – I represent the American Association of Mexican Entrepreneurs, and uh, we are going oh, uh, to have yeah. – no, uh, sir? Yeah, we're... I'm I'm yeah, I'm yeah, right in the middle of something, so I got to – When can I call you back, my friend? He's in the middle of something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the middle of stealing more money off of online poker sites. I'll call you back. He's at a party. <laughs> I'm at a party right now. It's one time. Only my one, one time at a party is tonight. I'm eating a lot of cake right now, shaped like my house. Oh God! Yeah, I'm gonna call him back. Screw it. At least it's a real phone number. He probably won't yeah. answer. But... I'm gonna get more hostile now. He's not going to answer. No. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Seven zero. Yeah. Oh. No, I'm not going to give it out. I, I don't want this number getting hammered. I, I want to be able to prank it again. <laughs> I want to be able to prank it again. You didn't think he was going to buy the loco part, huh? No, I like I, I kind of hesitated. I'm like, crap, I can't be chico loco. I can't go that far. So I, you will have to call back with uh, something completely different, like not next week, like maybe wait two or three weeks on this one. Yeah. But I'm, does I'm does your number. number display the same? Or No. You know, it might actually. Shit. Because you got to figure that out too. Ah, crap. You're right. Maybe he'll forget. I don't know. Well, he'll probably hear about this. Yeah, someone's saying, uh, like, don't let it get hammered. Fuck him. No, I'm not worried about Howard uh, getting harassed. I'm I'm worried about not being able to make another prank call. Yeah, burning it out for the show. Yeah, I don't want to burn it out for the show. I don't care about Howard, believe me. Uh, I just don't want to. Uh, I want to be able to do this again. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. If you give out the number and you hammer him, he'll change it tomorrow. So he's, yeah. he hasn't lost anything anyway. Yeah, so that's uh, I'm going to save this number so I don't lose it. And now we will call in the future. I'm going to keep this. It, it definitely was him. Someone asking, can I say with confidence it was him? It was definitely his yes, voice. Yes, that was him. That was his voice. I, you know, if I was kind of like convinced he wasn't going to answer. I was convinced I was going to get like someone else or or yeah. voicemail. I, I, I think I unfortunately I I didn't prepare enough because I expected failure, which is a mistake. It was a mistake. Like I True. I, I should have prepared better. Assuming he would answer instead of just counting on failure. It's you know, probably the luck's been turning around on the show for phone calls lately. It, it has been. I've got to. I've got to go with the new luck we've been getting, not the old luck. It's just. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like uh, you know, have you ever had it before? You're playing a poker hand and you're so sure you're screwed and you're so sure you're gonna, you know, you're gonna just check call the river and lose and and you just like, you're just ready to snap call whatever they bet. You know, so like the river comes down, you're sure you're screwed. You're gonna call anyway, and, and you don't even bother to consider. 
like uh like maybe the river helped me maybe he does like like you just right. are so into like i'm just done with his hand i'm gonna lose it and yeah you're like, you're just call 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 call, yeah. call 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 and then like the river comes down which really helps you and you just like instinctively click call and you lose like you're, you're yeah. just expecting failure and you're like crap why didn't i think for a second and raise uh this is kind of what happened here i was just expecting to lose yeah we got locked into nobody answering yeah all right all right uh, forum wars is suggesting in chat that we splice in parts of his old interview and use that to talk to him. That would that would have been funny actually. If somebody wants to do that, if someone wants to like take parts where it could be a convincing conversation, I, I actually used to make prank calls like this uh, where I had funny clips from. Uh, I even had clips from another person I had prank called, and then would take those clips and use it to call other people. And then I'd have like a soundboard of things I'd play, and I actually kept some people on the phone a while, like talking to these sound clips. But I, I don't know if sound, I think Howard would recognize his own voice being played back. Yeah, to I was gonna say people did that with uh, like the Schwarzenegger ones and that, but yeah. I think he'll <laughs> recognize himself. Yeah, I mean I know Howard Stern had that going too, but uh, all right. Anyway, uh, PLOL saying I came off as a telemarketer or a scammer. I, I don't know if he thought I was a scammer or a prank caller. He may have thought that too. He may have gotten other pranks. All right, let's take a call here. Maybe it's a, someone pranking me. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, this show's getting a little boring. Uh, do you think uh, you want to talk about Dan Bilzerian kicking some bitch in the face? Thanks. Hmm. I did. Did he do that? Uh, I mean, the guy's gone. The guy's gone. But. Uh, Dan Bazarian kicking a bitch in the face. I don't know about that. I know about him throwing a bitch off the roof, but uh, yeah, she not, broke her leg or something. Yeah, not kicking a bitch in the face. I mean, like, someone wants to help me out with that topic. Yeah, maybe I should have. I, I don't think it was because the accent slipped. The accent did slip, but I don't think that was it. I think he just didn't like the premise. Right. Yeah, he seemed a little hostile off the bat. So, yeah. also, I don't know where you got this number from, but if somebody's giving out his number, this might not be the first. It's not someone who gives it out it's not someone who would typically give out that number often that's from that person uh, it's like it's not like a, a serial prankster who gave me this number oh here we are uh sent this story from tmz today hmm, a lot of news coming today i love when i have the show on the day when a lot of things happen and i am like fresh with everything uh, this is what it says. Dan Bilzerian under criminal investigation for face kick. Exclusive from TMZ. Dan Bilzerian is about to get a kick in the face himself because cops are investigating him for criminal battery, TMZ has learned. Model Vanessa Castano filed a police report after Bilzerian kicked her in the face Saturday night at Live Nightclub in Manhattan, uh, Miami Beach. If you haven't seen it already, check it out. Bilzerian claims he kicked her because he was trying to help another woman on stage and Castano was blocking him. Not a good story for him, it says. That's true. That's kind of a weird explanation. When cops arrived at the club, Bilzerian had already left and Castano declined to file a report. But she had a change of heart and filled out the paperwork Sunday night, probably after he wouldn't give her money. I bet the change of heart was like, hey, I'm not going to file charges if you pay me off and then like... He's probably like, fuck you. And she's like, okay, I'm filing charges. Um, Castano claims she suffered a laceration on her right eye and an abrasion on her lower back. So here's a video. I know a video is not the best thing to play on a radio show, but I, I want to watch this. So tough luck. You can watch it along with me with the uh, the audio only. 
Let's see what comes up here. Uh, all right, 22 second video. Let's see. Whoa, whoa. I, I want to mute it here because it's uh, not going to do you any good. So it's showing J Dan. It looks like he's yeah. He he did do a big. <laughs> he gave her a swift kick. I'll give her that. Like it's <laughs> it's it's kind of dark. Like you could never tell it was Bilzerian if you weren't told it was Bilzerian beforehand. It's like kind of dark and bluish light in the background, but if that was him, he definitely did a kick. You don't really understand the circumstances of the kick in this video. No, I don't even know if I see it connecting. You just see him making a kind of large kicking motion, but yeah, it's kind of hard to see. All right, well, uh, yeah, I, I closed it already. I was going to play the sound. Someone's saying that the sound, you can hear the crowd yell when he kicks her, but screw it. That's, uh, well, let's see what happens with that. You know, it's funny because I appeared in that uh, Wall Street Journal article about Dan Bilzerian telling that old story about him from 07 in Lake Tahoe, which is kind of a very minor story, especially compared to everything else he does. Uh, I, I get contacted now by other journalists who want me to talk about Dan Bilzerian. I'm like, what do I have to say? Like, yeah, the same I mean, story. There's, there's so many topics in poker that I have a lot to say about, but this is one I don't. Like, I, I've got one story from early 07 of, of seeing him in Lake Tahoe and him carrying around a suitcase of $100,000 before anyone knew who he was. Okay, you know, like, that was early Dan Bilzerian, but okay, like, why does anyone else want to hear more from me? There's nothing more I can say. So, yeah, that's weird. Uh, I'll say every time Dan Bilzerian has gotten into his legal situations, when the facts come out, it turns out I'm on his side. But... Right. This one, maybe not. Maybe he screwed up this time. Maybe this time it's his fault. So we shall see. Thank you, caller from 513, saying the show is boring and to talk about Dan Bazarian. <laughs> we, we did. Well, uh, one last topic before the editorial. Uh, best rate guarantees are becoming popular with hotels these days. And if you don't know about them, you should because you might be able to save money. In fact, I just did it. I, I have a trip to Hawaii coming up and I used the best rate guarantee to save uh, some money when I found a rate that was cheaper than the hotel's website. And then I was able to get uh, $50 on top of that from the hotel by bringing it to their attention. So these are worth pointing out. Uh, and usually the hotels will make it worth your while rather than just saying, hey, you know, book with a cheaper site in the first place. Uh, the reason the best rate guarantee is done is the hotels have realized that it's best for them if you book with their own website so they don't have to pay any commission to any third-party sites. These third-party mm -hmm. sites, when, you know, when you're booking with them, they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They're getting a piece of, uh, of the amount you're paying to stay there. Yes, that's also a reason that uh, resort fees are on the rise. Yeah. Because the, the Expedia and that, they don't get a cut of that. But. That's true. That's, that's a good point. So these hotels uh, are trying to get people used to not using sites like Expedia and Orbitz, and they, they want you to use their own site, and they will brag on their site that you always find the best rate on their own site. So this way you feel like this is always the place to go. Uh, now, this isn't always true. Sometimes there is a cheaper rate on other sites. Uh, 
And in order to make you feel better about that situation, they have what's known as a best rate guarantee, where if you book with them, and then very shortly after you book, usually like hours, but if uh, you search it out afterwards and you find out that another site is offering the same room with the same terms for cheaper, you show it to them and uh, provided you meet their best rate guarantee terms, then they will match that price and give you something extra, like an extra 10% off or whatever. Uh, Caesars, and not just Caesars Palace, but any Caesars property, they have this best rate guarantee where they will do exactly that. If you find within four hours of your booking on Caesars.com, if you find a cheaper rate anywhere else with the same terms, and it's something that's not like a triple A rate or something related to a club or your work or a membership or whatever. If it's just like an open rate to everyone, you can find it's cheaper. They will match it and give you 10% additional off. So uh, it's a good thing to use. They have all their terms laid out there. They're very clear. None of them are unusual. They're very standard best rate guarantee stuff. The reason I'm talking about this here is because Caesars, who claims to offer a best rate guarantee has actually been denying it when people bring it to their attention. So someone posted a story that they found on Priceline, and I'm not talking about the Priceline where you bid something and don't know what you're bidding for until you after you win the bid. I'm talking about the version of Priceline where you see the hotel and choose it. It's just kind of like the same as Expedia. Someone found on Priceline a cheaper price at the Flamingo than what they were paying. So they filled out the form they needed to fill for the best rate guarantee, expecting to get it matched and get the 10%, and they were denied. They were denied with a very flimsy and nonsensical reason. And and even though this person completely stayed within the terms of the best rate guarantee applying, uh, for some reason uh, they found a reason to deny it. They just... They, they said something that just absolutely wasn't true, basically that uh, it was a special promotional rate on, on Priceline that wasn't available to everyone, which just wasn't true. They, it was just their excuse not to give it. Uh, this particular person fought and fought and fought and finally got a manager who said, all right, look, I'm still not giving you the best rate guarantee, but hey, I'll make a deal with you. And they gave him some percentage off, but but still he didn't save as much as they had promised on the best rate guarantee and they wouldn't budge any further. Uh, Just in case you think this was an outlier, a second person reported to the same website that this also occurred. And uh, let me give you the exact uh, story here. Uh, Let me get to this website. It's on VegasChatter.com that this was reported. Uh, This person wrote, At the same time, my friend booked five nights at the quad. Well, that was her first mistake. Uh, she then found a cheaper rate using Southwest.com. That's kind of weird. I don't, I don't really think of booking hotels through Southwest Airlines. Uh, the rate was available to the general public. It was not part of any package. Did not say limited time or, or show a discount. She received a denial as well. Not only did they cite the same reason as mine, uh, they claimed that hers was not within the four-hour window required after booking. It clearly was, as the best rate guarantee was submitted less than four hours after she booked room at the quad, and the timestamps were provided as proof uh, that rate was still available when they sent her the denial. 
Uh, it seems they were not taking into consideration the three-hour time difference between Nevada and Rhode Island. <laughs> God. <laughs> so she sends it in, and, and they're like, no, 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 you waited more than four hours. And she's like, no, no, you don't understand. It's three hours later. I live in Rhode Island. So my time stamps are three hours later. It's Eastern time stamped. And they're like, well, no, it doesn't matter. She's like, no, but it was less than four. No, no, no. Like, like uh, that shows so if she it. sent it from uh, Hawaii, it'd be back in time. <laughs> yes, Welcome I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess you get uh, seven hours in Hawaii instead of four. Now, this is this is crazy. So uh, the worst thing is not the incompetence with these improper denials. It's that when people bring it to their attention, hey, you're wrong. They don't back down. They just yeah. say, and I hate that. I absolutely hate when a company makes a mistake, screws you in some way, you prove them wrong, and then they say, uh, no, we're still not budging. You've proven us wrong, but we're still not budging. I, I, I detest that. I detest that when they just stick to their original claim and, and will never admit that you, you caught them here, even when we have like the smoking gun proof. And the funny thing is, uh, this is not even, it's not like they're going to get a free room there. They're just getting right. a ten percent additional discount. Who cares? Like also, like, the, the the I mean, the rooms in Vegas, they're not as big of a of a loss leader as they used to be. But I mean, they're still a bit of a loss leader. Uh, you know, they're not making the money in the hotel room, is what I'm saying. So why do they give a fuck if they give them ten percent off? Like, it's crazy. I, they've they've really got people there that uh, are. They must have been told to just try to say no to this as much as possible. So don't offer this best rate guarantee if this is what you're going to do. It just, pisses, it just pisses people off. I know I know they think it's, it's great. Hey, say we're giving a best rate guarantee and not really do it. But here's the truth. Saying you have a best rate guarantee is fine because most people just trust you it's the best rate and don't bother to check. And right. so this gives you a lot of additional business booking – not additional business, but you get a lot more bookings on your website as you intended – uh, rather than these third-party sites and having to pay commission to them. And you've accomplished this, and the few people, the very small percentage that actually goes and takes advantage of the best rate guarantee, fine. That's the cost of offering the best rate guarantee. Let those people get over on you a little bit. And it's, you know, it's not getting over, really. It's just giving, you know, taking advantage of what you're offering. Let them get their 10% and get their jollies from it. You're still making plenty of money off them anyway. And, and the rest of the people are just trusting you have the best rate and you're not paying out commission anymore. Uh, I don't know why they are trying to get people denied for this when they're clearly in the right. They shouldn't be training their employees to find ways to say no. Reminds me of the – I don't know if you've ever tried to use this, anybody listening here, but a lot of credit cards have the built-in collision damage waiver when you rent a car. So you should never take that because the – credit card will typically cover it anyway if you get in some kind of accident and damage the car. That's just a benefit of having a lot of different, you know, a lot of credit cards will offer this. I had an American Express card which offered this uh, back in, I think, 04. And I rented the car with that card. An uninsured driver hit me. It wasn't my fault, but I, you know, I couldn't get anything out of him. He had no insurance and he was broke. This was actually in Las Vegas. I took it to American Express and said, okay, please pay me the $1,100 I need to fix that car that I rented. And they denied it. Over and over and over they denied it when even their own terms, I followed everything to the letter. And I kept proving it to them over and over and they just did not give a crap. They had people trained there 
to just deny you. And I thought that's crazy. They, they advertise this benefit so much. Why not actually pay it out the few times it's actually used? Why, why, why yeah, a huge company like American Express, how could they be doing this? And, and of all things, the way I finally had this solved was through a collection agent. A collection agent from Avis called me and said, hey, you owe us 1100 bucks. Why haven't you been paying? And I told her the truth. And she said, well, um, you know, I'm very aware of American Express. They've pulled this on other people before, too. She even knew the name of the person I was probably talking to, and she was right. And she said, oh, yeah, I've dealt with that woman before. Uh, do you mind if I call on your behalf? And I said, go right ahead. And she called up, and a week later I got a letter in the mail from American Express. Uh, we've decided to pay her $1,100. So whatever this woman at the collection agency did, she made it happen what I couldn't. But I think what she did was that she had dealt with this before and, and basically said, uh, you know, we know what you're pulling here. And, uh, you know, stop it. We're, we're going to smack you down again like we have in the past. And that immediately, you know, once once the woman at American Express knew that uh, the jig was up, they, they just gave up rather than thinking they're just fighting off an individual. So uh, a lot of shadiness with these guarantees, unfortunately. So I just, just watch out, but don't take no for an answer. Don't don't be like the guy in this story who accepted a lesser deal. Never, never, never accept a lesser deal. When you have something in writing from a company saying you're going to get this and they don't give you that, always fight it. Don't don't say, oh, okay, well, I'm getting 5% instead of 10%, so I, it's better than nothing. No, don't. If it says 10%, get 10%. Tell them you're going to sue them. Tell them you're going to make a big deal over this. Tell, you know. I mean, you just absolutely refuse. Say no. Just take it higher and higher. Do not give this up. Do not let them get over on you that way. If they promise something, uh, they have to deliver it. And and I've always fought to make sure that anything promised to me by a company actually gets delivered. So, well, Caesars. I mean, <laughs> just maybe they're so broke they need that six bucks off the ten percent of a. Flamingo room. You know, let's see if I can call them. Let me see if I can call this department. Let's see if it's open. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm on the terms and conditions. Let's see. There's a fax number. That's not going to help me. No. If we have time, I'll tell you my own quick uh, Caesar's fail story. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I can't find a phone number. They're all faxes. So all yeah, right. go ahead. Well, I went down to Vegas in July, and uh, – I kind of slept late, and I just ran out of the house, and I forgot all my little players' cards, right? So I go down there. I'm going to gamble at uh, the Harris in Vegas. So I go to the desk. They reprint the card. I do some gambling. It was the last day I was there. So when I went home the next day, I decided to check on my account, and I noticed, oh, there's no reward credits or tier points. That's kind of strange. So... uh I'm looking at my card and I'm looking at the screen and I notice <laughs> there's two different numbers. <laughs> the The card in my hand is not the same as the card that I left uh, on my yeah. desk in a drawer. I was like, oh, what the hell's going on? So I give them a call and they said, oh, yeah, it looks like there's two people with the same name. And uh, we gave you the other person's card. <laughs> you earned points for them. <laughs> and this, the points are on their account. And I was like, I gave you my license. Like, uh, it's, it's, oh, yeah, I, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, we'll transfer those points to your card. And I said, okay. And she said, this will take about three weeks. And I said, all right, well, I'm not going to be back in Vegas for three weeks, so fine. 
So, <laughs> two months later, still not there. Yeah, of course not. I was going to say that the chance of that actually happening was very, very small. It's probably like 5%. <laughs> so I go to the Total Rewards desk and um, and I said I explained to them all what had happened. And I actually forgot both my cards again, <laughs> the old one and the new one. And he said, okay, no worries. First of all, let me print you up that, that missing card. The card they gave me was the same one they gave me in July of the wrong account. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and I don't have the number memorized, but I know the first like three or four numbers. And I said, you know what? This is the wrong card again. And he said, oh, no, well, let me check it. And he said, oh, you know what? Somebody has the same name and the same birthday as you, and they're from the same province. Yeah, right. So that's why we keep making this mistake. And I said, okay, well, like, you know, what are you going to do to fix this? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, We'll put this all to your account, but it is going to take two to three weeks. Uh, I hate that. I hate was... when they claim they're going to fix something in two to three weeks because, uh, you know, it it usually doesn't happen. And then you check on it and it doesn't. And they say, "Well, wait another two to three weeks." And like, like you just never can get instant satisfaction that is done. I, I just thought, like, how hard is it to? I don't know if the other guy spent the money or, but whatever. That's not my problem, right? So I just said, you know what. Fine. Again, I wasn't going to gamble there or eat there on that trip anyway because I was pissed off at them. So I got home. I waited a month, checked my account. Of course, it's not fixed. I give them a call. I, I explain to them everything that happened to that point. She said, oh, I am sorry, sir, but we cannot do this over the phone. Jeez. You have to pop by your local Total Rewards desk. <laughs> I was like, I told you I live in Vancouver, Canada. There's no local total rewards desk I could pop by. It's like, oh, we can't fix it for you over the phone. And I said, look, uh, you're like the third person I've talked to about this. Just fix it. And she's like, okay, well, I'll escalate this. There's, yeah, no, there's no managers here right now, but I'm going to bump this up, and you'll get a call within 24 hours. And I said, okay. That was three weeks ago. Jeez. I mean, this is so that's here's what I would suggest. Just... When you go to Vegas next, I, I would go to a total rewards desk and really raise hell about this and and uh, ask for a manager immediately and yeah. tell this whole story to them and and just say you've tried so hard, you've made so many phone calls, you're going crazy. So one, can they fix this right now? And and, and number two, can they give you some extra reward credits for your trouble uh, or? Or something, you know, food comp or just something for your trouble after everything that happens. Because they, they can add reward credits to your account for nothing. I, I once had them – they once added $90 worth of reward credits when I had uh, oh. a mistake there uh, that I won't bother going into. But nothing as egregious as yours. So, Do you find that the people are smarter at the higher properties? Like, should I not have gone to hair? If I go to actual Caesars, do they employ I used to think I used to think so, but no, they, they rotate no? them. They rotate, them, oh. so it doesn't matter. Just go to go to any of them, but just make sure you get a manager. Find out where the manager's there. The the bottom employees won't be able to help you, but the managers are empowered. And I know this because it's right. been done for me. 
they are empowered to give you extra RCs. And I, I would make a huge deal and tell them this whole long story and just tell them, say, look, I've, I've been trying to hold their hand the whole way and get them to do the right thing, and they just can't. And nobody ever calls me, and it's a disaster. And just, just you know, just go on and on about it, and they will, you know, by the end say, say, you know, when don't, I don't want... make me take this to a bluff-nominated podcast because I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you don't know of a, this. This is a podcast that's uh, quickly inc- increasing in uh, in popularity and and media recognition. And, exactly. Uh, and not only that, it has you know, 125 people on Stitcher have it in their playlist. Actually, I think more than that. Let's see. How many people do we have in there? Actually, I don't want to go there. It's going to create feedback. But uh, Stitcher has at least 125 people that actually have this in their playlist. So you can drop that number two on them. Okay. All right. So, yeah, just watch out with Caesars. Don't let them get away with anything. They they will make it right if you get to the right people. Uh, a lot of incompetence there as is a long-running theme on this show. But if you press and you... Demand something for everything that happened. They usually will give it to you because they know there's a lot of fail there. So they're prepared to give you things for that fail. And uh, I'm actually going to be at uh, Caesar's property for New Year's. So I hope oh. no fail there. Benjamin will uh, watch the fireworks through the window. and uh, They'll say they gave you room to a different Todd Wattellis. <laughs> yeah. I've had that before. I've had claims that, oh, maybe it was a different Todd would tell us. Not, not with Caesars, but I've had, I've had the companies tell me that it must be someone with the same name that this happened. And I said, there's no way. There's no other Todd would tell us in the world. So, and they said, well, how do you know that? I said, I know that. Trust me. I, I would have found him by now if he existed. So I guess my final topic here is just the editorial. And it's... Not about poker, not about any casino. It's just an answer to a question you might have. That is, why do I do it? Why do I run this show? Why do I run this site, this forum? It's definitely not for money. I lose money on this site. You'll see there are no sponsors. If you scroll up and down Poker Fraud Alert, you'll see no sponsor, except at the very bottom there's an Amazon banner. Uh, You might wonder... How much is Amazon, this this large, successful company, how much are they paying to have a banner on this site with uh, a thousand plus listeners on its radio show and and podcast every week, as well as uh, all the live listeners we have? How much are they paying me? Zero point zero. Yeah, they're not paying me anything. I I get a small percentage of... uh, Certain purchases you make on Amazon if you click that banner. By the way, if you are going to buy on Amazon, please click that banner first. If, if you like the site, just please click that banner. I, I don't get much money. I get like between 2 and 6% of, of your purchase, depending on what it is. But uh, click that banner first. Uh, I will not see your name. So if you're buying something really embarrassing, I'm not going to see who you are. I will see what you bought. I will not see any information about you. I'll just know someone bought it. And I'm serious about that. You can look up into the program. It's the Amazon... Uh, yeah, that's true. Amazon protects the people's information. So this isn't even you know Todd saying, I'm not going to do it on my end. It's Amazon that yeah. keeps the information. Yeah, there's no way I could find it out. So so if yeah. you want to do this, if you're going to buy on Amazon anyway, and, and uh, any kind of other discount you get or whatever, you'll, you'll get the exact same experience. You're not going to get any higher prices or anything unavailable. 
I just get a small piece, and that'll help pay for the site that I, uh, you know, the, the cost of running this site. And the costs are higher than people think. It's, uh, you know, you can get cheap web hosting for five bucks a month, but it's it's much, much more than that. I spend uh, uh, over $1,000 a year on the hosting costs of this site, and, and I've put a lot of time and effort on my, you know, as well. So, so and I sent out those hats recently for free. So, look, I'm not going to plead poverty over this site, but at the same time, it loses money. It doesn't make money, so I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not doing it for any kind of fame or admiration. Uh, this, I'm glad the radio show does get a thousand or so listeners, but it's still it's not like I have a million listeners. It's it's still a thousand is not a huge number. And yeah, you know, there's people on YouTube who make videos that have millions of people watching them. I have a thousand listening here, and uh, you know I'm not getting mass recognition. In fact, I had to bitch at bluff for not even putting me in the podcast voting last year, or sorry, web-based program voting. <laughs> uh, so it's not for any kind of recognition or admiration. The reasons I do it, there's a few of them. Uh, first of all, I've been part of this community, which uh, originally came from Neverwin Poker, which no longer has a forum or a radio show. But that's kind of where I started as far as uh, poker forums are concerned, and I get ver- got very involved in that community. A lot of people who post on the forum on Poker Fraud Alert originated from there at some point. There are some new people who came to Poker Fraud Alert after that, but uh, a lot of people also came from Neverwin Poker. And, you know, I've become attached to that little community, and I, I don't want to just uh, shut it down and have... You know, no forum for people to go to or a crappy forum. Uh, I, I like providing this forum as a place where we can all, all interact. That's one thing. That's more of the forum side of things. What about the radio show? Uh, the radio show, I, I've always enjoyed radio, you know, listening to it. I always had dreams as a kid of having my own radio show. Uh, this is a way I can have that and talk about subjects that are important to me in the world of poker and gambling. So... You know, I do it as a hobby, pretty much, and and also because I feel passionately about calling out cheaters and scumbags within poker. I was a victim of them on the uh, Absolute Poker and Ultimate po- Ultimate Bet scandals, and uh, I like having a place where I can shine light upon people or companies in the poker world that do things wrong. So those are reasons that I'm doing this. But there are some downsides to doing this. Uh, Number one, it's time-consuming. It's time-consuming to do this show for a few hours every Tuesday night. It's time-consuming to prepare for it. Uh, Until you do something like this every week, you don't realize how it can actually get in the way of other plans, where I just can't do anything on Tuesday night except for this. I can't plan anything on Tuesday night. Yeah, I can move it to Wednesday as I do sometimes or move to Monday. But uh, the thing is, uh, I, one weeknight a week, uh, I, I have to be here and do it. I'll miss one here and there, but for the most part, uh, I'm here just about every week for a few hours in the evening. And, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's a burden. Sometimes I'm really enjoying doing the show and really looking forward to it. Other times I'm like, ah, I, I kind of don't feel like it today, but, you know, I said I'll be there, so I'm going to 
do it and make the best of it. And I don't ever say, hey, I don't feel like being here today, but you know, some days I do, some days I don't. So I'm not looking for sympathy here. Uh, I mean, the forum, that has so much drama over the forum. There's so much, you know, there's people who fight with each other and want me to get in the middle. Uh, there's people who become enemies of mine because they feel I haven't done enough to protect them when they're fighting with other people. I mean, you have that freak over there in Massachusetts who uh, wrote all those nasty blogs about me and, and SEOing the results just because I, I wouldn't uh, stop people from talking about the scams he perpetrated. Uh, you know, I, I end up dealing with a lot of unstable people who take things out on me even when I'm not even directly fighting with them just because they don't like the way I'm handling other people who they fight with. Uh, I have people who like to troll me to get a reaction out of me over here and uh, you know try to get laughs at my expense or try to piss me off as much as possible so they can see the reaction I have and, and snicker at it. And, uh, you know, so the, it can be stressful running this. It, it's a pain in the ass. It's, it's hard to please everyone. And the bottom line is if I'm not making money from this and I'm not really gaining anything materially and I'm not gaining anything in my life from running this site, why do I do it? Simple answer is because I enjoy it. Because when it's all said and done, you average everything out. Am I enjoying the experience of doing this show and of running the Poker Fraud Alert Forum? And the answer is yes. Am I happy I'm doing this versus not doing this? The answer is yes. If the answer was no, guess what? It would all be gone. I would shut it down. I would not do the show anymore. I would not run the forum anymore. It would all be gone because I'm not gaining anything else from it. It's not like you're going to a job you hate and you go, well, I got to bring home the money, so I'm going to go to a job I hate so I can support my family. This is not supporting anyone or anything. So if I didn't like it, I, I would be done with it. And, and when I left the previous site I was with, I left because I didn't like it anymore. I'm not going to get into the reasons. You guys know the reasons, but or most of you do. But uh, I left because it was no longer fun, because it was no longer enjoyable, because it was very stressful and no longer enjoyable. And I said, why am I doing this? So I left, and I left all forums for uh, six months. I didn't do any radio shows for six months. I, you know, I, I shut everything down. And then came back with this in March of 2012. The reason I, I say this is uh, I, I don't want people to have sympathy for me or pat me on the back or tell me what a wonderful guy I am for doing these things. I just want you to understand that if I make a decision on the forum, and the reason what made me think of this whole thing was I, I banned a user this week who's been on the site for a while and some people like and I banned him because it was basically someone who was following me around to every thread and trying to troll me with, with a, like the meanest, nastiest things you can think to say. Like you, it's one thing to kind of poke fun at someone. It's another thing to like try to find the nastiest things you can say about them, true or untrue or half true. But just think, what can I say about this person that's going to really get them mad, really embarrass them, really make them look like a fool, really make them look like their life is crap and have everyone snicker at that. Let me find the meanest, biting, most nasty thing I can say to them and say it. And that's basically what the person was doing. Sometimes he would do it in the, in the form of, uh, you know, of humor. Or sometimes he would do it in the form of just blatantly saying really nasty things for no good reason. 
And I, I put up with it for a long time because the person also posted some good content aside from that. But uh, eventually I got sick of it. I said, I, I don't need to put up with this here. So I got tired of it. I gave him one final warning to stop it. He didn't stop it. I, I got rid of him. And when some people questioned that, I said, look, I'm only going to do this. I'm only going to run this thing. I'm only going to do this show. I'm only going to run this forum if I enjoy it and if it's fun for me. And if it stops being fun, I have two options. Either shut down the whole thing and quit or modify something to where it is fun for me again. So I did the latter. The thing I modified was I banned someone who, uh, whose presence I didn't enjoy anymore. So I don't like being a hard-ass uh, running forums. I think people who have seen the Poker Fraudler forum, if anything, would complain, I don't moderate enough. There's a lot I allow on the forum that a lot of other forums don't allow. I allow a lot of criticism and trolling of me. Uh, I, I just wanted to where I I don't feel that there's someone here specifically just to either make my life miserable or try to make me mad or, or someone who's just the purpose is to disrupt my enjoyment of the site. If that's the purpose you're here, go away. I don't want you. So uh, it's just I want you to understand where I'm coming from with running the site. It's a hobby. It's something I'm doing for fun. It's something I'm doing for the love of the game. And, you know, I, I try to tolerate as much as I can. But if there's some factor that's making me not enjoy it and someone's really here just to piss me off, uh, I don't want them here. So that's that's the story. Now, I usually don't like bringing forum drama into the radio show, but I had nothing else to editorialize about this week, so I figured I'd uh, give a little time to that and just just give a view into why I do the whole thing. Because, uh, um, yeah, some people might wonder why. You know, why do I even bother at doing this show every week? It's never going to get me fame. I'm not going to. This not the show's not going to become huge. I'm not going to end up on uh, Sirius XM or on uh, you know nationally syndicated radio. This show is probably about as big as it's ever going to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm not some 16-year-old who's, you know, this is their stepping stone to their radio career when, they, when they're older. I'm 42 years old, you know, so this is this is just a hobby here. So that's... Uh, yeah, that's well said. But, I mean, don't discount those bluff awards, Todd. Okay, that's it's true. going to propel that could, that this show to stardom. That could be the springboard. If, if only I were gay, I think I think it'd be in the bag. Now, what night is that? I got to rent a tux. The bluff awards. <laughs> that's someone asked that. They said, "What do you win?" They said, "What do you win if you win this uh, bluff award?" Is there, is there some sort of uh, gala presentation where we uh, I show up in the tuxedo along with uh, my co-host here and uh, they say. Here are the nominees for the Bluff Awards. And then a pretty girl walks up with an envelope and they say, okay, the envelope, please. And the winner of the best web-based show, (laughs) Poker Fraud Alert Radio, starring Todd Wittellis and some co-host that he never names. (sighs) So... Thank you, thank you. 
so you know, then I I can come up there and say, uh, I would like to thank all the little people I had to step on to get here. I never thought I'd be able to say that some of the best people I've ever known were ones I met through this radio show. And I still can't say that. But uh, now, the Bluff Awards, uh, all they do is, is is just print in one of their issues. I'm not even sure if it's a real print issue or an online issue, but they uh, they just say, here's who won, basically. And you get some recognition. I think I have seen that in a printed issue. Okay, okay. So... Yeah, so if we win, and I, truthfully, if we won, we would probably get some new listeners. What gets new listeners over here for the most part is is when something happens that attracts attention from the outside. Right. Uh, some scandal that we cover, some an interview that we have. Uh, yeah, which where, may have happened tonight. Maybe, yeah. And, and people yeah. say, oh, you know, go listen to this on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And then they go listen. Right. And, and some people will listen and go, this thing sucks. I don't want to hear this again. Uh, others will say... Hey, you know, I actually enjoyed this show. I never even thought of listening before. I never knew it existed before. But now that I heard it, I enjoy it. I want to listen again. And and that's you're always going to have a certain percentage of people that are going to stay. Just like uh, when there's a pilot on TV, you're going to have people who say, oh, this show sucks and never turn it on again. And other ones that are going to show up every week to watch it. It's a matter of exposure. It's a matter of giving people a reason to you know, listen once. And, and then, uh, you know, if, if we had a lot more people listening to the show one time, I guarantee we'd have a much, much bigger audience because a certain percentage of those people would enjoy it and come back and listen again. So uh, if we won the Bluff Awards, yes, there would be people who are not aware of this show or who hadn't thought of listening to it before that would listen, and, and then we'd get some more audience. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think we're going to win. But uh, it's just just being on the list there. It's an I, honor to be nominated. It's an honor right to time. be nominated, and I think we will get to, you know, maybe a few listeners like, oh, Poker Fraud Alert Radio, what is that? Let's take a listen. Who's Todd Whittles? Yeah. <laughs> Who's this Todd Whittles guy? Why is, why is he playing 1975 music at the beginning? Is he, is he 55 years old? I think he might be. Uh, that was because you'd been hosting the podcast by yourself for a few weeks, so I thought, you know, alone too long, little hollowed out's appropriate. Yeah. Well, uh, well, you know, I've played songs on here from like the early 50s. That really makes me seem old. Mm. And I, I think that might be the factor. And I think also just younger people, they hear things like I'm talking about things I did in 1989. And uh, to them, it just seems like so long ago they overestimate my age. Right. They can't imagine a time pre-cell phones. They think the dinosaurs were around. Yeah. like I, I remember in the late 80s, like thinking, I can't picture this ever being the old days. I, I really couldn't picture that then. I was like, this is crazy. How could anyone think back to the 80s and think that's like the dark ages? That's the that's the old days. That's the the time it's hard to picture someone like you know actually living in those days. So that's that's the way the young people see the 80s now. Yeah. So uh, anyway, like I was talking with my dad, though. We were talking about uh, the year I was born, 1972. And, and he's saying you know, to him, yeah, 1972, it, it, that doesn't seem like – that long ago that uh, were to me that's you know, I obviously don't remember that year but you know I think of 1972 and number one it's the year I was born and two it really seems like like ancient history and uh, you know I look at things from that time but to somebody who was already an adult then they to them it's uh, something they can relate to a lot more so uh, I don't know if I've said I've said this before but the in case you're wondering the age demographic of this show it, it's a wide demographic but 
the age range we mostly have is from like 32 to 55. Which probably makes sense because I'm right in the middle of that. But uh, there's a, a lot of people that are older than me that listen to this show. And, and some that are somewhat younger, but there's not that many really young people listening. For whatever reason. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it. Uh, I, I think we covered a lot here tonight. Interesting interview with Dusty Schmidt. We have a lot of topics that we will have to update next week when more comes to light about the the merge thing, for one. And uh, we'll see what else comes out. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but this song in the background, which is the All in the Family end song, which probably also makes me seem 55, uh, this song, uh, Benjamin actually saw this so many times on TV in the background that he now associates this song with New York because uh, you, you see New York in the background as they're, uh, as this song plays at the end of All in the Family and it, it finishes with an aerial view of Manhattan. So uh, Ben actually refers to this as the New York song and because of this song, because of the All in the Family end song, he actually really wants to visit New York. <laughs> so I, I don't know if there's ever been a kid before who's wanted to visit New York because of the All in the Family end song. I think that's the first. <laughs> it's true. He actually was in New York when he was just about two, but yeah, he doesn't remember it. Right. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week. December 16th, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and uh, if it's Caesar's calculating things, then uh, I guess the show is only one hour. <laughs> so, I've said about Caesar before, it's almost like they try to fail. Seems if they, like it. If they tried to fail, I don't think they'd fail any more than they do. It's like they actually, I've said if there's a way to fail, Caesar will always find it. They're creative. very innovative, yeah. Yeah, they're creative in their in their ways of failure. It's it's impressive. Okay, so uh, thank you, Daredevil, for co-hosting with me once again, and you're, uh, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, can't say I'm going to every single time play your choice of song, but I did tonight. And thank you to Dusty Schmidt for appearing on the show. Thank you for the live audience appearing and helping me out with my questions. Anyone in the archives who listens to the show, hey, I like all the listeners we have here, and I always enjoy hearing from you. If you want to just email me or text me and tell me you've been listening and I haven't heard of you before, that's great. Good night. We'll be back next week. And shalom. Shalom. Shalom.